You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. By Fairmount Cemetery. I like that neighborhood. What's it called? Dude, uh, Hilltop. 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 Damn, boy. Drive out every day. Oh, Hito? Oh, Hito? <laughs> oh, you live in Hito? <laughs> Hito. <laughs> Dude, it's coming, man. I've started seeing more and more of our people walking around in Hito. Walking around. Man, dude, I think we just coined that, Gordo. The you people. coined it. You coined it. I'm starting to see like our people from like Rhino and Lohi and Sobo. Like I'm starting to, like I ran into um, Matt uh, Megacy. I ran into him at my grocery store. I ran into um, what's her name from uh, Girl Girl Rec Presents. Um, oh, Brandy. Yeah, or, Brandy. Yeah. I ran into Brandy at uh, at Heart King Supers. I saw late last night. I saw the creepy Slayer <clears throat> shirt guy that wears headphones at the bar. Do you know what I'm talking about? He, I've, I've, Yeah, I'm aware of this. You know who I'm or, talking yeah, about, yeah, right? Yeah. The guy who, like, has gotten 86 from almost every bar in Denver. He, like, sits at the bar with headphones on, and he's always listening to Slayer, always wearing a Slayer shirt, and just kind of, like... He's a little. He's a little bit of a schizo. He's kind of into Slayer. Yeah. What's he? What's he getting eighty six for? Like he starting just, fights or selling drugs? No, he's got. Um, he's a, he's a mentally ill person. So you, you eighty six uh, people well, just because no. they're kind of. He's a little too into if Slayer. You just Can we say <laughs> Dude, if if you if if you get eighty six people just for being mentally Retar- ill, yeah. you and I would not be allowed anywhere. I, absolutely, yeah. man. But. That's so, why I don't go anywhere because I don't want to get eighty six <laughs> for that very reason. <laughs> but uh, but he, I think what happens is he he gets a little he lacks personal boundaries. Oh, okay, so you know what I mean. So he, I don't think he's like a grabber or a groper or anything like that. But he just, I don't know. He as a bartender, there's just those people we call them punishers. You know, punishers where they just get in your space and they just. Give you the. Ah! He wants to talk about Slayer, dude. It's it's like you can't. They give you the heebie-jeebies. That's what I was gonna say. Is the, one of the hard things about about working in that industry is you really just want to kick people out. Eighty six people for giving you the heebie-jeebies, but you have to wait until they break a rule of some sort. And there's no rule against just giving you can bend the, those rules though if yeah. you really want someone out you know what i mean the heebie-jeebies yeah rule? yeah you can be, make some shit up man yeah. what? You know? <laughs> You're like, that's motherfucker i saw some coke fall out of his pocket or just whatever that's plant it. drugs on him put, plant drugs on yeah. him <laughs> welcome to episode 88 088 of the motherfucking podcast this is of course the official podcast of the international power rock combination group Motherfucking Ruckus from Denver and Chicago, respectively. I'm Aaron Howell. I'm Gordo. And uh, Gordo, it's great to have you back, man. 
Thank you very much. How was your trip? It's a pleasure to be back. You're uh, feeling it was, better. It's good. It was, yeah, I'm feeling better. I'm feeling feeling stronger today. You look stronger. I you lost, don't lost some stones. And, you did. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Gordo had and, dick stones. Uh, yeah. I've had them twice, man. Have you had them twice? Yeah, I had them on tour once, actually in England. Oh shit! In England? When I was a young man, no less. Oh, God yeah. damn it! That that it was sounds fucking like horrific. a terrible. How terrible long were you on tour to have for? Kidney with stones in. So, uh, the, well, the tour started off in Europe, and then we had we had about eight days, eight dates in uh, the UK, and it hit on probably the second date. We played in Brixton, like in the London area. Mm-hmm. And that night... That's where your son gets his name, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. And um, I wanted to, you know, him to be associated with this painful <laughs> experience <laughs> in my life. Yeah, I named you after a pain in my dick, kid. Yeah. Well, actually, it's not It's not a pain in the dick yet. It's it's really it, just a pain in your side. Right, when right. it comes out the dick, it's it's smooth sailing, right? You don't even re- realize it. It's true. It's smooth sailing. Gordo's like, wow, that was pleasant. That was that was downright euphoric. Well, I mean, Gordo, did coming you, did, from feeling like you're dying to experiencing that, it's like, oh, there's it's there's, horrific, bro. It's like awful. I've, I've been there. I had one earlier in the middle of last year. How do you think you got him? Uh, so here's the funny story. Oh yeah, yeah. So, keep okay, going. so um, the gig was awesome, and uh, but we we had to stay. So like I said, we, I was a young man. We were, we weren't getting hotels or anything. We stayed in a squat that night. Oh yeah, and. Um, there was this uh there was this this chick that came with us and um she came back to the squad and on the way there I was a sober guy like I didn't drink any alcohol for like 10 years right but they absinthe is legal in the UK so I right. thought I found a loophole <laughs> right for a free lapse right yeah a free lapse because yeah. I'm like it's not really booze it's like more of the wormwood right. experience uh it's Van- like taking a tincture exactly like van gogh shit <laughs> But, I um, love the loopholes, man. <laughs> and uh, so we, we got a bottle of absinthe, and we got fucking ripped, right? And, we, and it was in such a bad area that our driver, we told him he, he had to stay in the van. He couldn't come party with us. And we gave him a steak knife. And we're like, dude, if anyone comes up to the door, just fucking stick him with this thing. This poor fucking Belgium dude. And uh, so His he, name wasn't Jan Lipkins, was it? No, it was Paulo. <laughs> Paulo, man. Yeah, poor Paulo. And... Uh, so yeah, we go back, we drink, and I get like we just have a good time. We're playing stupid board games, whatever the UK plays, their version of Monopoly. And um, so, but I had to sleep on this pull-out couch, right? And which was just horrible. You can imagine in a squat, right? So I get up in the morning, and I've got this massive pain right here in my back. And um, so uh, we have to drop this this girl off at the uh, what do they call it? The tube. Right, right, She's right. Like, oh, I gotta get to the tomb, you know. Drop me off. So we drop her off, and by this time, I'm I'm just viciously shaking, violently back and forth in in the van, right? And I tell the driver, "Go fucking pull over, dude. I've got to get out." I've because I don't know it's a kidney stone at this point, right? And Feels uh, like you got stabbed, right? If, yeah, I'm like maybe from sleeping on that, you know, that pull out couch or whatever at the squat is doing it. But everyone else in the band thinks it's the fucking absinthe, right? So everyone is just like nervously oh, waiting shit. for it to hit them. <laughs> and it's, but yeah, I get out, man. And uh, it, this is like in the middle of London on like Tuesday, right? Like right. super traffic. I'm laying in the street. I beg the driver. I'm like, you got to take me to a fucking hospital. So we go to a hospital. And the first one we go to, they say, um, we don't have emergency services. And we're like, at a hospital? This is not a fucking hospital. It's a doctor's office, right? Right, right. So we go to another one across town, you know, across town traffic in London. 
and I come in, and at this point, I've lost my shit 100%. I go, I need help now. I need something. And they're like, you just wait in line, mate, you know? like, And um, so I go back. I have this nurse with no bedside manners at all, right? She's just she's over my shit before I, right, she right, even right. walks in the door. She goes, piss in the cup. So I piss in it, and it's like black coffee. Oh! Right. <laughs> yeah, it was so fucking gnarly. So she, oh. Yeah, man. So, so this is insult to injury. So she goes, she comes back, she goes, you either have a sexually transmitted disease, <laughs> which was possible, right. or uh, kidney stones. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm young, healthy. There's no way I have a kidney stone. But sure enough, man, that's what it was. How how do you think you came about it? Just eating meat you and know potatoes what, and drinking black coffee? That's or? a really hard thing to actually get your, you know, to get your uh, arms around there. It's it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. Really, some people are just more predisposed. My urologist couldn't tell me shit about it. Honestly, just you've got stalactites just, in your just kidneys. Did a test and said, well, looks like you rate pretty low in most of these, you know, most of these areas here. Like, you know, I guess just. Maybe I, maybe try to do this diet, but I don't know. That may not work. And I'm I like, think, thank you. Yeah, they use a magic eight ball to diagnose that <laughs> shit. They're like, well, you got them. Like, oh, you drink too much milk. That shake is it. what it feels like. All signs point to too much tea. Yeah. You're, you're, you're but right. I was drinking a lot of tea on that tour because I was losing my voice every night, right? Right. And like I said, I was sober. So after a gig, I would pound like three, you know, big glasses of tea with honey. Right. So that maybe could have had something to do with it. Um you know, it was summertime in Europe. You guys have been over there. There's no fucking air conditioning. Yeah. So when you're playing a gig, you're totally And it's dehydrated. all bubble water. Yeah. That, all, those were the days before I got into it. It's tough to stay hydrated. I love the bubble water now, man. I, I, I do now from going over there. You we, when, I mean? you, when you're young and you go over there, man, you're just, you're fucking, you're just an ugly American, right? You're like, you want ice in your drink. Oh, yeah. And you want And Dr. Water. Pepper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ice in your drink. Air conditioning, still water, and then the second HBO. time you go HBO, right? <laughs> and then the second time, you know, uh, bedside manner. You want doctors that are paid an obscene amount of money, you know? Right, man. <laughs> so then, I, um, so I had to play seven, or I guess it was six, six more shows with the kidney stone. Oh my god! And um, and they wouldn't give me anything, so they thought I was like I was. Seeking drugs, right? Because I'm heavily tattooed, right? And I'm from America, and I'm, so um, even the first time at the emergency room, they gave me basically aspirin, right, for kidney stones. What? The they weren't fuck? sending me walking with any narcotics, and um, and like I didn't know any better. This is before we had you know smartphones. Like I couldn't even look this shit up on Doctor Google to right, see right. how bad it was. And uh, <clears throat> so that last gig we did was in Brighton. England and uh, finished the gig, and as soon as I got off, I went right to the bathroom and th threw up. Because Gordo, you probably know the pain is so intense that you just start vomiting. Right? Oh, he yeah. he oh, came in yeah. here to do the show one day, just white as a sheet, and he was like, "I'm okay right now, but I may have to jump up in the middle of the podcast and just run out of the room in excruciating pain." Like, did you know what was happening? Did you? I had no idea what was happening. Like, I I woke up in pain, and like it just kind of incrementally got worse over the morning and but pretty quickly though like yeah, during that yeah morning. it was like you know about two hours later i was like i mean like you like you say you're writhing around you're you're yakking everywhere and it's just it's unbearable pain and you think you're dying and you're just like okay well what what the fuck do i have to do? You know, like i was like well i guess i'll drive myself to the to the er but then when i got in my car 
I realized that I couldn't possibly fucking drive. God damn. And uh, so, like, I was, like, either call an ambulance or my wife to come, you know, to take off work and come and take me. Well, that took another couple hours because I didn't right. opt so for you're the just ambulance. Writhing and yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So then I'm just like, I'm just. There's no position that's comfortable. There's like you think something works, but then it doesn't. It's like it's awful, it's dude. That just sucks. Terrible. You've got to make the decision. Like, like I'm in a lot of pain, but am I fifteen hundred dollars in pain? That's exactly what is going through <laughs> your. That's, right. that's where we're at. I that's know where we're at, dude. Uh, I want to say that the ride from. The ride from Rocky Mount or Mile High Midwifery to uh, the Mile High Midwifery is off of like Hamden and Logan, basically. So from Hamden and Logan to Craig Hospital to Swedish was something like a thousand dollars to like go right up the that's street. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, for that's what? Re- that's really well, close. For uh, because we were trying to do a, a birthing center birth. Oh, okay. And um, his his heart rate went up. His pulse went up because um, he was wrapped around the cord and oh, and shit. wasn't descending right. I mean, it wasn't anything major. It was just like they were like, yeah. This, you know, we're running into fetal distress here, and we would rather be safe than sorry. So we're gonna, we're gonna refer you out to the hospital. So right. they said they sent an ambulance to come pick us up. And we got the luckily Medicaid took care of it. But was it a natural birth? Other than that, yeah. I mean, it, the the plan was to do a natural birth. And, you know, we went to all the classes and like, and like your body is designed to stretch and your body is designed to do this and everyone tears a little bit and da 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 and all the like the, the hippie midwife stuff. Um, but what ended up happening and, and Sarah said, I'll, I'll never do that again. I'm, I'm going to get a planned C-section if we do this again, because we got, but isn't it, I thought like when the baby goes through. Like the the, birth the vaginal canal. birth, yeah, yeah. I, th- I thought like there's lots of like good bacteria that's really oh there is it is to the baby. It is a really good thing, but she had a very traumatic birth. Like how long she labored for? Do you remember? She didn't. It, it it wasn't like she labored for a long period of time. What what the bad part is, and and trigger warning to our listeners. Um, just like. She had to have the episiotomy. She had a fourth degree tear as a result. Like she just rough, and she had no drugs because by the time we got to the wow. hospital, it was too late for any any right. drugs. They're like, we can give you a local, but this baby's coming. So yeah, Camille wouldn't take drugs either. Yeah, yeah, but so, it was for like different reasons. Like, in she labored forty eight hours. That's re- insane. So and um. Yeah, man. So towards the end, I'm like, baby, just take some shit. And she's like, she's in that state, right? right she's right. in the fucking zone where like, you did this to me, <laughs> motherfucker. I never got that. I never got that. <laughs> she never did any of the you did this to me shit. Oh, man. Was she, 48, at 48 hours. At 48 into, hours, that's a different story. You know, you go. That's a long time. Yeah. So yeah I, I want to say goes, it was like 16, ba- 18 hours and something like that. But it, the, bad, no. the birth itself was super painful. You know what I mean? She wasn't in active labor for an incredibly long period of time. But the, the the point I was making is like, you know, you're sitting at home writhing in pain and it's like, wait for two hours for my wife in excruciating pain or call an ambulance and pay $1,500. You know what I mean? You're basically looking at seven fifty an hour to sit in pain. You know what I mean? That's insane. 
It's insane to me that to get a ride to the hospital for medical care costs that much. It's bonkers. You got to Uber that shit. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) exactly. If you're not not physically bleeding, you can get in someone's Uber. Just Uber that shit. I I almost did that, yeah, because it was taking a long time. Dude, I wonder how often that happens. I'll bet it happens a lot. I'll bet there's a whole blog of like... Real medical rideshare stories. Oh, the Uberlins? Uh, the Uberlins? Uh, Uberlins. <laughs> Did you make that up? You just made that up, Gordo? Uh, pretty much, I think. Oh, Fuck. he's yeah. so clever. You made a, what was it, dude, high top dude, already? If high you give toe? Me, if you give me, high toe. Yeah, if you give me long enough. Dude, you're on a fucking roll Jesus, today, Gordo. Dude, give me a runway. See, I'll you missed two off. episodes Uberlins. and you've just been saving up all your juice, man. Yeah, yeah. All the juju's there. <laughs> That's awesome, man. That's great. So, uh, so what did what did you do about the kidney stones? By the way, if you're just joining us, we're on the Dick Cast. We're talking about kidney stones. <laughs> you're listening to the Stone Cutters here on the motherfucking podcast network. Okay, uh, so um, yeah, what was the treatment? What did they do? So this, I as I went. So I, after I threw up at that gig in Brighton, right? I told uh, Andrew was our drummer at the time, and uh, I'm like, dude, I I'm sorry because we were fucking broke, right? right. And um, and we didn't know if this shit was going to cost us later. I, we had to take a cab, to, you know, because uh, the other guys had to stay a little bit later at the venue. So, like, it's just more stress, man. Right. Oh, and, yeah. And I've been in pain for fucking seven days now. But we get in the cab and we go to the emergency room in Brighton, England. And it's a fucking Saturday night, dude. And it's the wildest shit you've ever seen in your fucking life. <laughs> I'll bet. Okay. Dudes so, with, like, bottles jammed in their dude, face and shit. So I get there and... um. There's this old Irish dude outside, and I don't know why he's there because he, he's he's just smoking outside, and um, and he's fucking mad dogging us so hard as we're walking in, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I gotta get in a fucking fight with like a 60 year old Irishman just to get back to see a doctor. We, we make it past him, thank God, and um, so we, I wait like an hour, right? During this hour, there is a. There's a mom. She's probably at, she's probably like 45 years old, maybe 50, being interrogated by the cops because she stabbed her fucking kid, right? Holy fuck! Right, Whoa. the kid was like a teenager, like a young, a young being adult. a pain in the ass, and she and was just like, "Shut your like, gob." She's like, "That's him, motherfucker!" Boom, and she, and she like stabbed him like in the neck, right? Like he, he, he was gonna make it, but I mean, it was still like an assault. And, but I don't think she was gonna go to jail because the kid came at her, right? And um. So I'm tripping on that, and and then they finally take me back, and there's like, I don't know, she's 80 years old, this poor little old lady with a broken arm. She's like, oh, love, what are you here for? And I'm like, oh, I got a kidney stone. I'm like, what are you here for? Broken arm. She's been back there four hours with a broken arm. Holy shit. So I'm like, Jesus Christ, it's not fucking looking good, man. Um, So then they take me for x-ray, and I get like this guy straight out of, you know, whatever, little med school he went to and they're going to do a contrast it's where they hit you with the shellfish and then they take a picture as the, you know the shit's coursing through your veins oh right 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 right. and right. to my knowledge i have no allergy to shellfish or any of this stuff or um, i guess it's iodine and yeah, yeah. Well, however this dude administers it though my heart goes through the fucking roof right and i boom 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 boom, boom. i feel like i just fucking yacked an eight ball of coke and i'm looking at the guy i go hey man Am I supposed to feel like I'm having a heart attack right now? And he turns as pale as I am, right? He's like, just steady, mate, steady, <laughs> mate. And he's looking around. I mean, the, the, the x-ray machine is like from the 50s, bro. Like the right. whole room is from the 50s. 
So finally, my body processes it. It calms down. They send me back in the waiting room. He's going back to his supervisor and being like, I killed another one. <laughs> Dude, I thought it was over, man. I'd, my heart's never felt like that, and that's saying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so then I go back out, and then there's the, the Irishman again, the old dude. Yeah. And he goes, you a patty? And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck is a patty? Is this guy calling me, like, gay or something? <laughs> right? <laughs> what are you calling me, gay? Are you calling patty, me a fucking patty? Patty cake? You patty cake? What are you calling me, a, a small child that plays clapping games? I'm no patty cake, sir. <laughs> I'm beat your fucking ass, you mother... So I, I'm like, what the fuck's a patty? He goes, Irish, you Irish. I go, no, man. Do I sound Irish? I'm American. I'm just smoking a cigarette. So finally, go back inside. Then this other guy. Oh, so then we get an emergency comes in, an ambulance. A guy fell out of his bed onto a pint glass over his heart, right? So I don't know if that guy lived. What? Yeah, he was just a, just a drunk man. Rolls out of bed, falls onto the pint glass. He's bleeding out. They're trying to save his life. Stat, right. code blue. And then these two kids come in, you know, these two young men uh, who were bar hopping and one of them got in a fight right and his fucking face it looks like hamburger meat and he's bleeding so much you can smell the booze coming out oh my god it's like a butcher shop mixed with booze oh my god oh, Jesus. yeah dude it was so gnarly and his and his buddy um the guy wants to leave he's like i don't need to be in fucking hospital man i'm okay i'm okay and his uh his buddy's like they're sitting next to me, right? And he goes, tell him, mate, tell him, mate. He's, he needs hospital. Tell him, tell him. And I go, dude, you need some fucking stitches in your face. Like, trust me, you want to get stitches. And uh, so finally he went back and got stitches. This whole thing, Aaron, is, is ta it takes six hours, right, before I finally right. get to go back. They've already overdosed me on shellfish. I've almost gotten a fight two times with this Irish guy. <laughs> And so I, I come back, and here's another nurse, man. And I'm pleading with her. I'm like, please, you don't understand. You have to give me something. She goes, I'll give you something when I give you something. Ooh. All right? Oh, God. Ooh. And she goes, if I do give you something, it's going to be up your ass. <laughs> like supposedly. The French, she called it the French way. I'm like, what the fuck's the, fr the French way? She goes, you'll find That's out. That's like an English joke. They're like, yeah, how can we really stick it to the French Everything that goes up the bum will associate with them yeah. the French way. Those patties. <laughs> That's hilarious. We're going to shove a patty up your bum the French way. So, yeah, man. So, uh, okay, so you got this nurse. Then, she says she's going to stick it up your ass. Right. And so I'm, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm, like, having, like, an existential crisis. And I'm like, well, I've been on tour for, like, a month, right? I can't even imagine what it looks like down there in my ass. So just out of spite. <laughs> Out of spite, I think I'm going to take it the French way just so she has to deal with it, right? Right. So she has to deal with the the, the, the sarlacc pit that There's, is your oh, Jesus. repercussions. Yeah, yeah. And medicine probably wasn't going to work anyway, but, you know, she's giving me baby aspirin up there. But uh, she comes back and finally she she does, you know, give me some IV stuff. Doesn't work. And uh, so we had two shows in Belgium after that, and then we were going home and I tapped out. You tapped out before the two Belgium shows. Yeah, in which they sucked in the end anyway. Right. But, Did the uh, other guys go on and do them? Or? Well, yeah, they had to go. They uh, We were staying with the band that was actually playing the festivals. Oh, okay. So they did go to them, and like when we all got home, they're like, dude, this shit was so fucking lame. You're lucky. Right. You know, you got to leave. And uh, But as soon as I got back to the States, I, uh, 
I flew back to uh, Florida, which is kind of where I grew up, and I was at my mom's, and um, they took me to the emergency room, and immediately, boom. I don't know if it was heroin or whatever. Right. No pain. Right, you're just like amazing. It's probably they, Tordal, like that. That that's what they pumped me up, and it, I, it took like maybe two minutes, and it was like I went from a ten pain to zero. Is that the steroid? It's amazing. No, it's not a steroid. It's like it's actually a narcotic-free pain reliever. And I'm like, why aren't you just? Why aren't we peddling this shit over the counter? Narcotic-free, yeah, pain reliever. Yeah, and they just put it right into the IV, and then they were like, okay, we're gonna take you to the CT now, and I'm just like. No, you're not. Like, I'm still writhing on this gurney and barfing. Right. And then, like, two minutes later, as they were rolling me to the CT, it was just gone. You're like, take me anywhere. Yeah. As, Put me I, in a wood By the time chipper, I got to the CT I room, care. I was just like, life is beautiful. <laughs> I'm checking myself out. Oh, so get this, though, Gordo. So, the, so last year when I got him, I was... Uh, Jesus, the whole podcast is going to be about, <laughs> about dick, dick stones. stones. It's totally appropriate. It's totally appropriate. Keep it rolling, man. Okay. Keep it rolling. This is perfect. So I noticed, um, so when you, like, the ma- the first symptom is you're pissing blood, right? Right. Dark blood. Not yet, though. So, like, every time I would take a piss, it was like Kool-Aid in the bowl, right? Right. And I'm like, Jesus, fuck, man. It's been, you know, 15 years. They're back. But I'm not feeling any pain. <laughs> This shit goes on for four days, dude, where every time I piss, it's bloody. So I make an appointment with the doctor because I know it's coming. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, let's do some x-rays. I got pretty good insurance now, right? It's going to Kaiser. They do all the x-rays. And like um, a couple days go by and, he, and I'm no pain yet. And the doctor calls and he's like, we can't find a stone, man. And uh, I'm sure you've done Dr. Google. There's only one other reason why there would be blood down there. Bladder cancer, right? Oh, no. So I'm just like, oh, he's like, man. we need to come in. We need to talk about some options and run some more tests. I'm like, this is it. This is how it ends. Right. Fucking bladder cancer. Right. And that night, thank God, at about fucking two in the morning, I wake up and there's the fucking pain. Right. right? So it's like, a, it's a bittersweet. Because I'm like, it's, actually it's not bladder for the pain. Right. I'm like, bring it on, motherfucker. Good God. And um, so I'm like, okay. It's, it's like, thank God. But this one, this this stone fucking hurt a lot worse than the England ones, and uh, so um, and, and it came on like you said, man. You're writhing around, and then did the onset is just so quickly. So about four in the morning, um, I tell Camille, I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fucking drive myself to the hospital, you know, because we got the baby. We're not gonna get him up right. four in the morning, and we we live down in the suburbs. I'm kind of close to Littleton, Adventist, Adventist and um. So I go in, and uh, by this point, I'm, I'm on fire, right? So I run through security, through the fucking metal detector. The guy's like, oh, oh, oh come on. I go, motherfucker, I got a kidney stone. That's like, exactly what happened to me, man. <laughs> you just ran through security. I just had to just dump thing after thing after thing in that stupid tray. You're like, keep my keys, keep my phone, keep my wallet. I don't care. Give me to a gurney, motherfucker. Yeah. So uh, so they finally take me back, and I get this, this nurse, and I forget his name, but he was an army medic. So- and I'm trying to keep my cool, man, because I, I don't want to be a dick to these people. Right. Right. But I'm but I'm hurting. And I'm like, and I know what I look like. And I go, dude, this is for real. It's a kidney stone. I need something now. He's like, all right, brother, just chill. So he starts the Demerol. And they're coming every five minutes with Demerol. Nothing. Right. right. Barely touching it. And he's like, all right, I need you to, I need you to take a piss because I got to test your kidney function. 
I'm like, all right, you know, so I, I give him a sample. He's got to go to the labs. It takes about 20 minutes, comes back. Kidneys are working fine. He's like, all right, I'm about to hit you with some real shit. And he gives me a steroid, right? And he's like, I couldn't give you the steroid if your kidneys weren't working because it would shred them. Right. And five minutes, I'm up and, like you said, whatever you took, Gordo, this, it did it for me. And I was like, what kidney stone? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, that's how crazy it is. It's just like to go from that intense pain to nothing, it's crazy. You're just like, I, I think I believe in God. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. Did they did they have to do like the the sonic pulse treatment or whatever it was that they like Gordo, you had to do like something with like sound pulses, right? Yeah, they they blew up one of my stones. Like, so how many did you have, Gordo? I ended up having I think three or four. And the there I had like three of them that were like two millimeters or less, and then I had one that was like between six and seven millimeters. That would be yeah. So mine was this last one, I'll never know about the first encounter, but the last one was three millimeters. And oh, they thought yeah. it was just one. Yeah, I still got it, dude. I'm not even sure if I passed it, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I've still got two yeah. over here on the right side. Dude, if my if analytics are correct, like this is the perfect conversation to be having for our primary demographic of males ages 35 to 44. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's coming, motherfuckers. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Dude. All like, you alcoholics, all you, you know, rock and roll dudes, it's coming. Prepare oh, yourselves. Dude, <laughs> dude I mean- and you, it's like you can't be prepared. It, see, this is this the thing that I'm ter- terrified about. And 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 Brent, I wonder if you're. I wonder if you're scared in the same way because you also have a son. Is it's like there's like the thing like I remember people warning me, you know, hey, when you get older, like this type of stuff is going to catch up with you, and these type of behaviors will catch up with you, and and your body starts to fall apart when you get older. So take care of it now and do the right thing now. And people said that to me, and I could not have cared less. And I've got a son, and I want to like grab him and shake his chubby little face and be like, be like, there's so many things that you need to watch out for. It's like enjoy it while you can. Take care of yourself. Eat your vegetables. Drink your water. Like. Like, exercise, take care of yourself, but it's not going to work, and he's uh, still going to go through his own. But if you take care of yourself, then you're going to be there for him when he needs you. Right. right. You said, yeah, I think if you set a good example, uh, right. they, don't, they don't even realize that you're fucking MK Ultra. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just, they're, they're little dummies anyway, so like... <laughs> yeah. yeah. They'll believe anything you tell them. <laughs> Like, my dad was the most unhealthy motherfucker in the world, man. And uh, I think that's what influenced me. Right. You know, like, I was just, I'll was i just do whatever I want. And um, But luckily, like, my stupidity seems to be skipping generations. Oh, yeah. Because my oldest son is just, he, he's, a, he's a peach. Like, he never rebelled or, you know, yeah. he, he takes good care of himself. He's, How old's your oldest son? So he's twenty five. That's right. I, I I remember that now. You told me you have an old you have an older son. Yeah. Twenty five. How old are you? I know I'm you're not 44. supposed to say. I'm forty four. Forty four. You look good. Thanks, man. You look good. You look very tan. I look good uh, behind this pop <laughs> filter and <laughs> these right. sunglasses. Don't look any deeper. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I get it, dude. Like that's why I grew the beard. When I, when I shave, my face looks like a road map, man. Oh, it's man. terrible. No, man. I, man. I, uh, speaking about setting a, a positive example for your kids, you know, my, my old man pro, you know, ate, uh, didn't eat really great when, when I was younger 
And he is pushing 70 now, and he and my mom are doing a lot more healthy stuff in their older age. And I really feel like it is reversed aging for them. Like my mom and, and dad. It's working. Dude, my mom and dad look the youngest they've ever looked, even though they're the oldest they've ever been. It's never too late to start taking care of yourself, man. You know what I mean? Like, like my dad is gray and he is old as fuck, but he he, he kind of glows like a young man. You know what you I mean? Could you take him? Could you take him in a fight? Could I take my dad in a yeah. fight? Would Probably not. Right dude, my dad was a Denver cop. My dad was a cop for 43 years. Oh, he'd, he'd tear you up. Yeah, yeah he'd tear he me looks apart. pretty scrappy, I got to say. I, well, he could, he could, is he kind of wiry looking? He or is definitely he definitely give you a run for your money. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the training kicks in. I, I mean, and, and the truth is I've never been very physically imposing to begin with. I always had to get get by on, on charm, charm and, 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 and jokes <laughs> and shit like that. And pretending to be insane, like, you know, doing that. The crazy act. Yeah, yeah the crazy act. I got a buddy in Texas who loves the crazy act. The cra- it, cra- it works, man. It kept me alive through yeah. middle school. That's for goddamn sure. But, like, um, you know, everybody has, I think, the story of when they, like, tried to fight their dad in some way. It may not have been a physical altercation, but some way in which they tried to stand up to their dad. Yeah. And I tried to, like play fight with my dad once like like go after him oh he put me da- he put me down and i uh, like with a punch or like with a choke oh no choke he out? just he just put me in a wrist lock oh uh, like Krav, <laughs> Krav Maga shit yeah man. dude he just yeah. put me down he put me down he just you know the training kicks in and uh i grew up like i talked back to my old man one time and he didn't hit me he didn't yell at me. He didn't intimidate me. Like he he didn't do any anything overtly to intimidate me. He just got real soft and he said, "How dare you talk back to me? Go to your room." In that exact tone of voice and that exact same volume, and I shut up and I went to my room. That's oh, where you, you got to watch, man. Dudes that are calm under fire like that. <laughs> I know, man. My father-in-law is the same way, man. This so this dude is probably the equivalent of the orangutan from um Every which way but yeah. loose. <laughs> like just that fucking strength. Right turn, Clyde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and but, but but mixed with Clint Eastwood. Like this dude could he could rip my fucking head off in, right. in a heartbeat. He's and he's got natural now he's got old man strength. But, Dude, the old man strength is a real thing. Yeah. But he's he's turning wrenches his whole life, right? Mm-hmm. And um you know, like just when you push them too far, and the same like you said, man, where they they just give you that look and you're like, okay. I'm yeah. a, I'm a back the fuck off. Yeah. Yes, sir. I mean that. I, yes, I mean sir. It. No, sir. Yeah, and, and, and I mean he's a he's a totally goofy, warm, lovable guy, but man, you like, see he got that training, man. That dude, training. I, I grew up. You got to hear him. It was very rare we got to see or hear him cop out on somebody. Like at the end of his career, he was working at a juvenile intake. And my mom or my sister tells me the story of she's like on the phone with my dad and my dad's going, hey, hi, sweetie. How's it going? This is really the way my dad talks. He goes, hey, hi, sweetie. How's it going? Oh, yeah. We're looking forward to coming down. And hey, get back in your cell, buddy. Yeah. Anyway, like I was saying, like the the, the fucking (laughs) cop voice comes out, man. Like he's in there like. He's in there watching babysitting 16 year olds all day. Sure. And uh and this gangbanger, he told me this story, this gangbanger kid came in. And my dad, you know, like I said, sweet, warm, goofy guy, you know, looks like Alan Alda, talks like Kermit the Frog, real sweet guy. 
like a cartoon character of a person. But uh, this this gangbanger kid comes in and he's like, you know, he's talking shit to all the all the cops that are working and whatnot, as you might expect from a sixteen year old gangbanger. And he he looks at my dad and and he goes, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to punch you in the mouth. And my dad just goes, you try it, motherfucker. I'll kick your balls <laughs> through the top of your skull. The day I'm afraid of a sixteen year old is the day I fucking retire. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great story. I was like, wow. Awesome. I bet that dude's ass puckered up. Yeah, great, yeah. Man. Real tight. He went and got in his cell and he didn't say anything anymore. Hey, man. Um, so now that we've knocked the cobwebs off at the front of the episode, you got to start the episode with something like Dick Stones because it really takes the pressure off. PTSD, man. Absolutely. For me and Gordo. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> it's, it, sounds, it sounds fucking horrifying. I talked right? to a dude like on while I was on vacation in, in California and talked to this guy about stones because he had just had them and um he was talking about how terrified he is to do anything on his own like he likes to go out and like do the adventurer thing and go out for a couple days and backpack in the wilderness right he was talking about how fucking frightened he is of doing that now that like the stones have re- reappeared for him and he's just like i can't like i can't leave the town. stones are I making a comeback town. They're like they're they, gonna. What if it happens to me out there? Like I'm fucked. out in the wilderness, like the um, guy who got his leg trapped between the rock and had to cut his leg off with a pocket knife. I mean, it would be a bad fucking situation, man. You got like a smack pack, you know, like yeah. like a medic or something. Because de- I mean, for real though, man, it 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 puts a cloud over everything. Yeah, it, like yeah. if it ever for real, like I had them 15 years ago, right? And it's always been in the back of my mind. I'm like, oh, is it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen? And then when it happened again, I'm like, well, now because I'm, I'm already predisposed, that there's going to be you know a third coming for sure. Is that oh, is yeah, that it's, like it's one it's of those gift that keeps on giving? Yeah. Is that like one of those type of things? Like, um, my mom is prone to seizures, and as a result, she can't do scuba diving training. Like she tr- she wanted to learn to scuba dive, and the the training company's insurance wouldn't cover her because. If How she, did they know that she was having seizures? Did they, she they tell ask them? for a medical oh. they ask for a medical history. Like bad seizures, like grand malls and stuff? Or she I mean, she has like catatonic seizures. Like I the only time I remember my mom having a seizure, I was a little kid and I came in the room and she was like out cold and I couldn't get a response out Jesus of her. And my dad had to Christ. take her to the So it's like the those hospital. petite mall. Yeah, petite of, mall. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's the thing, is like she she doesn't have them often, but if she had one when she was fucking underwater, it it's would over. kill her. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I wonder, like... What about driving? Like, she can drive anywhere? She can drive, yeah. Like, is there anything on your medical record that, like, like precludes you from doing anything because you have kidney stones? I don't think nothing no, that Nothing that you're aware of. It's such an inconsistent and intermittent thing, you know? Like, you never know when they're going to drop. <sighs> That's the thing. I just imagine this, like, murky dank cave inside your body that is your kidneys with just like these calcified stalactites hanging from the ceiling like i imagine your kidneys looking like the set from journey to the center of the earth by jules verne you ever see that in the 80s the journey to the center of the earth yeah absolutely dude (laughs) that's like what i imagine like when they go down to the giant like salt deposit cave i just imagine that that's like what the inside of your kidney looks like Sorry, I don't know, man. I, it I might even... be like that. I don't. I haven't been there. <laughs> I haven't been inside myself. It, all I know, man. Is, so you know, like it, it hurts, like actually getting from that tube coming off your kidney. 
getting to the bladder is right. Is, that's what hurts, that, and that's what makes all the blood because you you know you just it's scraping along the inside yeah. of that too. But once you get to the bladder, man, it's, uh, it's pretty uh, chill. Uh, I don't know though, man. Like a fucking eight millimeter one. I can't imagine. Well, no, yeah, they have to. They have to treat that. Like they have to. They have to straight blast up it. blast Ooh. it. You know, or they have to. Or they, they have, have to get the world's the best. To, core. No, they put you out for that shit because apparently, like you know, it feels, we've assembled it feels a really team. terrible when they just fucking like shock your internal organs with sound waves. You know, oh my god. But uh, yeah. did they play Panama on your kidney like they did to get rid of fucking Noriega or Dude, whatever? You know what? It was either that. <laughs> It was literally either that or have them stick things up through your peen hole and then up through that tube that goes to your kidney or, and then have them right. just like laser it. Or assemble the a team of the world's greatest deep core drillers. And send them. That's in, Armageddon. I think it's Armageddon. Yeah, no, it's a mix between Armageddon and inner space. Inner space. <laughs> yeah, man. I was just waiting for it. Inner space. Do you remember an inner space dude when he becomes the cowboy? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he dude. goes inside the cowboy's body, right? And then like his his face fucking changes. And Martin Short like has oh, to right, act right, like the right. cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're like, hilarious. listen, our budget isn't that great. We spend it all on the tiny little ship and the sets of the human body. We, we're just going to make Martin Short look like the cowboy for this scene. Hopefully, people will believe it. They'll suspend their disbelief. Um, man, Quaid, man, you know what I just realized is we haven't even introduced you yet. I don't need an introduction. Man. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> I would like to welcome to the show a, a good friend of the band's, a good friend of mine, a good friend of the Denver music community, world traveler, and, uh, and man, a a vet of the the rock and roll scene who has been slugging away for a lot of years and keeps turning out great shit. Bitchin' guitarist. Bitchin' oh, guitarist. Thanks, guys. Great songwriter. And I mean that legitimately. I, I, I really do Absolutely. mean that. Absolutely. Uh, please welcome to the show from Reno Divorce and Brent Loveday and the Dirty Dollars, Brent Loveday. How yeah. you guys doing? It's good Welcome to, to your show, man. Good to be here with you guys, man. Thanks uh, for those kind words. Dude, and I... I mean something coming from you boys. So, so... I, one thing that I have always said about you, and I don't know if I've ever said this to your face, but I have always said it about you behind your back. Nice. I, I like to say... <laughs> That's the way most things are said about No, no, no. Me. I mean, I, I like to say kind things about people behind their back, too. And one thing that I have, I have said about you, whenever the, the, the social distortion comparison comes up, sure. I have always said, if Mike Ness was smart... He would hire Brent Loveday to write songs for him. Fuck, I wish you yeah. would. Because we've actually kind of sought that out, but dude, because the, the the fact of the matter is, is that social distortion really hasn't done anything in 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 quite some time. Like his songwriting has slowed down a great deal, as it does with artists when they get comfortable and and they're not doing as much. But you have been consistently such a great songwriter. Like even after. You know, Reno Divorce was slowing down and you were focusing more on the Dirty Dollars and stuff like that. Like the songs that you put out on that first batch of Dirty Dollars songs were really, really impressive and really very good. Thanks, man. To the point where like Tony Lee and I are like listening to those going, fuck, man. Fuck that dude. Fuck, man. No, seri- <laughs> Fuck that motherfucker. Ser- seriously, Fuck dude. That guy, like, man. like really great stuff. And, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that I 
I think it's some of the best stuff that you've done. And and it was like I've I enjoyed all of it. I got to see I got to see the Dirty Dollars live with fucking cashed out at the Bluebird Theater. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean it was a long time ago. Sure. But it was kind of when you guys were just first starting to get we going. We probably didn't even have a drummer then. Did no, we? you yeah. didn't. You did. I was just kind of out there on, in the early days. And Johnny man. was playing tambourine. Johnny was playing tambourine. It was just probably the two of us, actually. It, it wasn't then. just the two of you. I re- it was because, God, I'm trying to remember who else was on that, sh- like who else was on stage with you guys, but it wasn't just the two of you. I think it was maybe a three piece. I don't okay. think you had a drummer yet, but, but man, just like. So impressed with the songs, just one after the other. That was that was just so good. Like uh, that, I'll light a candle for you is a really good one. And um, the oh, what was the? There was the funny one. You, uh, I'm only gonna think about you three times, three a day. times a day. Yeah, it was about jerking off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the catchiest song about jerking off that there is, man. It was so good. It's- so yeah. So what? What have you been up to lately with regard to songwriting and music? Are you just are you just touring mostly on the stuff that you've done with Reno Divorce and Dirty Dollars over the past few years, few years, or are you focusing more on being a family man? Like, what are you up to these days? Because I haven't caught up with you in a little while. So yeah, let's catch up, man. So um, I would say, so I, I released last year, um, really kind of early this year. Um, a full-length solo record for the Dirty Dollars. It's right, called right. Hymns for the Hardened Heart. Okay, I remember that. It's a very, and, uh, very good album. Thanks, man. And uh, it's like I did a Kickstarter for it. And I like, remember that. And which is the way to go now, man. Like if you I can't think get I record, might have backed that. I can't remember. You might have, man. I think I might have backed that now. That I remember know. signing a CD for an Aaron. <laughs> and, uh, so th- that record came out, and then, um, but I, I didn't have a band like to to like really tour on it so i just kind of put it out just to get it out there because i had actually started recording some of those tracks in like 2013 like Mm -hmm. just roughs tony lee even played on some of them i remember that and um so i did that but uh reno divorce is kind of like the hot hand right now we've been to europe a couple times um this last year did i tell you about when i saw your tour poster at uh Oh, was God. it Wild at Heart or something? No, it was. Uh, well, I saw some of your stuff at Wild at Heart too, but I saw some of it at uh, Gate to Hell. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The Backline and Van Company, sure. Robert and and those oh, guys. Oh, Robert's great, man. Dude, Robert's the fucking man. He's dude. the bomb. It was. Uh, That's what we use every time, dude. He's the man. He's like, I don't, I don't see any reason to go with anyone else. He's super easy to work with. His prices are great, and he's like, dude, he like. He'll drive you to the airport, you know, he'll drive you to a rental car company to get a rent. He drove us to a rental car company and like walked us through getting a rental car and like had to warn us about the way rental car companies work in Germany. He's like, this is not some rock and roll rental company like in, you know, the United States or like us, like they will charge you for every ding and every scratch. And you should not have people that are not on the insurance driving. And meanwhile, Parker's behind me, like whatever, give me the fucking just keys. like jamming <laughs> stuff into the car and slamming the door and just like, give me the keys. I'll fucking drive. Now we get the Audubon, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, he's great. But I saw what, what's I saw really you. cool is so, uh, yeah, man, when you walk into, uh, to Robert's place. I think maybe it's a drum or maybe it's a poster, but it's like right next to TSOL's on the wall, right? right. And you're just like, fuck, man. 
Because like that was one of my favorite bands. Dude, and they're true fans. Like they're like yeah, he wouldn't fuck with you. If he th- I mean, like it was whatever, but he's not gonna bend over backwards. For yeah, you, unless he really likes your music. And that's something that's amazing about about Europe, especially Germany, in my experience. And I and I wonder if you have the same experiences. It's just like they are they're just as saturated as we are. But I feel like the market, the people have a much deeper appreciation for live music that there are people that they go to shows six, seven days a week. You know, they traveled year round. Just they're not it. fucking around, man. No, if man. They, they love a band. They're going to get all your shit. Oh, yeah. Every T-shirt, every vinyl, whatever. They love it. But and they're also, it's kind of weird, man. It's funny you would say that. So me and, and Tyrone were talking about this just a couple nights ago. We played this festival. It's called Ross Rock, and it's in... Um, I think it's in Holland, and I, I'm not sure if – maybe we were the headliner. We played it twice, and then second year, I think maybe we were the headliner. And we and we get there, and there's this dude. He's wearing a U.S. bomb shirt, and again, he's fucking eye-fucking me. Right. Right? And I tell my boys, I'm like, we're going to have to fight this dude and his crew because this guy, he's, he's looking for trouble. And they're like, <laughs> what, for real? So, like, we're watching him. Like, damn, all right, let's get it on. And so we play the gig. He's dancing for the gig, and he's singing every fucking word. Right? right. And so it just turns out he was like just mega drunk. After the gig, he comes up. He's like, you're one of my favorite fucking bands. I was <laughs> oh, like, yeah. really? We are about to beat your ass. Oh, dude. yeah, dude. Well, that, that's the thing, too, is they're like, they're super enthusiastic when they're, you know. But at the same time, they're, they're kind of like standoffish. They're like. Very stoic. Yeah. And you're like, dude, like, I'm just a, come up, say hi, man. Like, whatever. Like, yeah. I want to talk to someone. I've been talking to these fucking assholes in the van for oh, yeah. eight hours they're just not as uh i've been told i've been told we smile too much yeah like they, my think, buddy, they think we're fake as fuck yeah, we, yeah. we shake hands too much and then americans or just americans americans bands. Ba- just americans actually like going over there as a tourist like being a traveling artist is like an exemption from other rules regarding tourists you know what i mean like they're stoked that you're there to come play music and we never experienced anything but but love and sweetness and kindness and but i heard from many of our friends in central and western europe that just americans are super loud and we we smile too much, and we're fake as fuck, and we shake hands too much, and like, why are we shaking? We just shook because yeah, Americans for real, man. Like, well, we got a hug, we got to oh, bring yeah. it in, you know. What's up? We get dap and do all this bullshit, right? And they're just like, I don't, I don't even know if they shake hands. Yeah, yeah. I, I hugged, I hugged Jan's mom, like Jan's old fucking, you know. Dutch mom, <laughs> you know, I mean, she looks like an old Belgian lady, you know what I mean? And I went in and gave her a hug, and she kind of like was weirded out by the fact that I went, I was like, Mom, it's so good to see you. And she's like, I'm not your mother. What are you talking about? You know, like I speak five languages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I speak, I speak five languages <laughs> that I, I, I learned in grammar school. You know, we taught all of them. When they say grammar school, they mean like, all the gr- all the grammar, the correct grammar. Yeah, yeah. When I was in Italy, I heard somebody say that we seem like we're all salesmen. <laughs> we and, are. Well, they think we talk too fast, and we're you know we're always on the gr- the grift, like we're we're trying to get something. And then they, they they hate it when we tip, right? They're like you fucking morons. Yeah, yeah. Why yeah. are you tipping? Like this person makes like you know whatever, 
And you're like, well, what in our country, you know, they don't make shit right. in the service industry. So, you know, we got to kick them a little something, something. That's right, right. Keep the, keep the fucking bartender coming back to us. Right. They don't get it, you know. They yeah, don't. yeah. That if, and, 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 you know, but when you're a musician, you go over there and th- I feel like they're more apt to explain the nuances to you. They're like a little bit more patient with you because you're over there providing a service and you're trying to work and they respect music, you know. Yeah, I, absolutely, man. I never, ran, I never ran into anything but like the kindest, warmest people out there. But the thing that I heard over and over again was you guys walk around like you won the war. It's like oh, I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah, I heard. Where are you, like in Germany or? So our buddy Jan from Belgium, who was our driver the first time we went, and has become a very good friend. He actually came out and and spent a few weeks out here in the states. Like stayed with my parents while he was out here, and you know he's become a very good friend over the years. And when we first went out there, he's he's a Belgian military guy. He's from. You know, he's from Limburg, so he's kind of in a in a more rural area of Belgium. And he's kind of like one of the rednecks of Belgium, you know, right, the equivalent, like you know. Hillbilly a little and, bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And 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 he's very blunt and he and he says what's exactly what's on his mind and, and like I said, he's a military guy. And so what he explained to us is he was like, You guys stick out like a sore thumb. He's like, You guys Americans in general walk around like they won the war, all like chess out and bow legged and loud and like you own the place. And wow, and I then never, I, never, I haven't heard that, but I mean, maybe that's how we're perceived. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, that's 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 how he saw it. I walk around like a motherfucker looking for Wi Fi when I'm over <laughs> there, right? That's <laughs> right. I'm trying right. to win the Wi-Fi war. Yeah, 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 Specific needs. Yeah, I, I look like the guy who's walking around looking for a place that serves a Dr. Pepper. Man, we couldn't find a fucking Dr. Pepper anywhere. Uh, but uh, the thing I notice about European fans, man, is like, um, well, like they're rabid, right? Like they they they'll support you through whatever you're going through. And like for Reno Divorce, I've had tons of lineup changes, right? Mm-hmm. And whenever I go back, there they are. Right. You know, they're they're still supporting, you know. Do you guys even do anything really in the States anymore? Like, you're, you're like pr- we will do uh, – it doesn't make a lot of sense, and, and it, it's kind of sad. I mean, at the level we're at, um, especially for what we do, there's not a huge market for it. Right. Right? Unless you're social distortion. Right. And that's like the, that the market's cornered. So unless it's um, like a festival or – which is are great. Like we do, I don't know. We did five festivals this this past year, mm-hmm. which are really well paying, and they they treat you like an artist. But to to be like the old days where we just get in a van and we booked some shows ourselves. Yeah. <sighs> see, yeah, we don't do that it's anymore. Fucking, it's a beatdown, dude. And I see bands do it, and um, I mean, I just I don't think my soul could take it. Well, I mean, even if even if you are fortunate to get into the upper tiers or the tiers above where where you know we are at, and and I mean, me and Gordo, you know, you guys are kind of kind yeah, of we're uh, probably uh, at the same tier. About, about this. About, <laughs> well, but what I what I have noticed is that even the bands that are a tier or two up. Are experiencing some of the same things, you know. Like I had, uh, I had Reed from Speed Wolf on here, yeah. and he's doing Overdose, and they went out with Hank Von Hell, and I asked him about it, and he's like, he's like, honestly, dude, it was rough. He's like, it was awesome to be on a bus with Hank every night and shoot the shit, and and their memories I'll have for the rest of my life. He's like, the turnouts weren't great. 
He's like, Cause really? he's like, the venues had to charge such high ticket prices for Hank's guarantee. And I mean, even then, his guarantee has to be high because he's coming from Norway. And, and he's in a bus. And he's in a bus. And he's used to that market. You know, like you guys have done stuff with the carburetors. You know, Carb- we did, yeah. Like we're U.S. bombs. I mean, the, yeah. Fuck, dude. We did. Um, we we did a huge tour with uh, I think it was Street Dogs and uh, the Bones. Have you ever heard of the Bones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, kind of the same thing, man. Where you're like here in was, the states? No, this was in Europe. This was in Europe. Okay. And they had a nightliner. They had this huge, you know, light show and roadies and everything, which is expenses. And by the end of the day, you know, it's like. Yeah, it's it's good bragging rights, but you know I'd rather just pack a club headlining right two hundred people right as, and you know then I'm gonna get all that merch money right 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 but yeah that, it's that was fucked the, up man this yeah. I mean like the music industry is whew. it is it is better over there you know I will say oh absolutely and, and I think that's why like. Like that's we why we out, keep going man right right and I went like we went out with the carburetors for a few days. And, you know, they're used to being able to fly from Norway to Germany and be on a bus and do all these and, and, and have the catering and have the crew come and have, you know, all the amenities. And they and uh, the Nitro Gods when we went out with them and, and 9mm when we went out with them, like all those guys – we're going, next time we'll come to you guys and we'll all go tour in the U.S. together. And I was like, you yeah, just, a fucking I astro like, band. I was like, you don't want to do that. Yeah, you maybe don't understand what's going on here. Yeah, yeah they're like, they're like, for, it, it's, and I would explain to them, I'd be like, first of all, catering, kiss it goodbye. Like, yeah. you're lucky if you play a club that is super band friendly and they buy you a pizza or, you know, it's a place like Slim's Last Chance in Seattle where they, where they feed you because they got a restaurant on hand and it's you sure. know there, there's no cost to them. He's like, so kiss that goodbye. The the unlimited cases of beer in the in the green room that you get to take with you at the end of the night, kiss that goodbye. By the way, I would clear out the green room every night when we were in Europe. That's what you got to do, man. That's what you, and that was something. Uh, Volker from uh, from Nine Millimeter had to explain to me. He's like, this is all ours. He's like, this is. This if is you part don't of our, take it, the, the promoter's like, those guys are fucking stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, he's like, this is all ours, so we'll load this up and take it on the bus. So we're taking trash bags and filling it up with rolls and coolers and bags and filling it up with meat and then rolling all the cases of beer and like stashing it wherever we can, right? Uh, I'm, and I'm like, kiss that goodbye. You'll get two drink tickets. They're good for wine well or, or PBR, and that, that's it. Well, I say wine well. It's it's good for well or PBR, and that's it. Black box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. I'm like, kiss that goodbye. Also, kiss goodbye anyone being at your shows because... I wonder how that works, man, for this. I mean, I'm sure... I wonder, like this, for example, to talk about the carburetors, I wonder who put their records out over here and... Uh, if, I mean, if there's yeah. a big market for it, you yeah, know what I mean. That's a good point. Yeah, like who's pushing? Who's pushing the promotional? Because if those guys, yeah, if they like, if they never had an, an American label, like it makes absolutely right. No, no, unless you just want to, you know what? I mean, th- that'll fucking battle harden a band coming to America. Like, yeah, if you can make it through it, 
and you can go back to Europe and, and you can tell everyone how much the U.S. sucks. <laughs> all your buddies, <laughs> or or lie, I mean, you, or, or lie. lie. Just go. Well, th- see, and 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 we live in the age of optics too, where you can just. You can go on a tour and just take a bunch of really great Instagram photos and make your tour look like... Now, don't pan out to the crowd. Don't pan out to the crowd. <laughs> don't exactly. pan out to the crowd. Dude, have you gotten to the point yet where you like look at other bands' feeds and you're like trying to see how the photos are framed? Like you're no. like... like you're like, <laughs> Now I'm going to be there. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like looking at them like, man, all of these are framed in tight from the front of the stage. It sure looks like the photographer had no difficulty getting up close there. You know what? The less attention I pay, the the better I feel. I, I love... I, I'm the same way, man. Yeah, yeah. It's like... Uh, because I've, I've never really wrapped my head around the social media or the business aspect of being in a band. That's that's another question. Is that I... I just, I just make music at this point, man. And, right. And, I mean, I've been criticized a lot for being in my own way over the years. But when I started... Um, I just thought, man, if you're good, that's you know, enough. success comes. You, right, it, it has to come if you're good. Right, and um, you got to be you look so, so good they can't ignore you. Right? Exactly, and that's that's absolutely not the case, man. There's people fucking way better than me that we're never gonna. There's never gonna be on the MF right. Ruckus podcast. We're never gonna know them. <laughs> And well, we tend to get people on their way up or on their way down. So, yeah, and we are. A, well, I can tell you, it's lonely <laughs> at the top and the fucking bottom. Right. I well, and and that's something that I'm wondering about is is how much has your lack of interest in the new way of doing business? Do you think that that has been a huge detriment to your success, or do you th- do you think it hasn't made as much of a difference as one might think? Because I think every day about quitting all of the platforms. I think about every day making an announcement and just saying, you know what, we're we're out, God we're off damn, of everything. Get out of my head, Aaron. Because I mean, I think that shit too. And, yeah. And I'm like, well, I only got this Facebook for for the band, but then. I mean, like you got to pay for ads now. People aren't going to see your post unless they won't see them even if you pay for the ads. Really, dude, it's changed. We had a. Did you listen to the episode with Justin? It's really abysmal. Did you listen to the episode with Justin? Oh yeah, yeah. dude. Okay, so we had a. Do you know Justin Lassell from um, Axe Slasher? I don't. Like you know who Axe Slasher is, right? I don't. Okay, so uh, do you remember DDC from a long time ago? Yeah. Reed's old band. Yeah, yeah. Justin played guitar for DDC, okay. and then Axe Slasher is kind of like his modular band, where it's it's him, and then like he writes and records everything, and then he's got the group of guys who like help him make it happen. Okay. Like my brother-in-law, Richie Tice from Speed Wolf is the drummer in that band. So they're like touring or just playing gigs? They mostly focus on licensing and online distribution type of stuff. Oh, they only, yeah. they only played one gig in 2019 and they do pretty well. Like th- they got a movie in that, or they got a song in that movie, Deathgasm. You know, they do festival stuff here and there, but you know, they are mostly like a, and like a online collaboration project. Okay. But Justin, his background is in software and internet systems and things like that. Like he's, he, he introduced me to Pandora. 
You know what I mean? Like he introduced me to fucking cat memes. Like he right. has known what was going on with the internet for a long time. He's a real savvy dude. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And he broke it down for us on, I was listening to the episode today and the comparison that he gave is it's like, if you, if you've ever taken out a billboard for anything, you can go to one of those billboard companies and you can say, you know, Hey, this is our budget. We want to put this billboard up. And we're willing to accept that someone can outbid us and take that ad down. If somebody wants to pay more, they can bump us off the billboard. We're willing to accept that as long as we can stay within our budget, right? And he's like, that is basically what is happening on a massive scale on the internet is it has become so ad-driven that unless you are from a company that is pumping tens of thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year into your into your ads, uh, you're really not going to see much of a return. I've stopped paying for ads. God, I never paid for them. Yeah, I, I mean, like maybe in the in the beginning, like I'm talking like six years ago. That shit is over. Maybe I would have paid, you know, like a ten dollar budget for an upcoming gig or like right. a new record. But I don't know, man. It's uh, the state of the states. Really, it is kind of fucked up when it comes to. Um, t- to be an independent artist, you know what I mean? So how do you guys do on tour without without using those without using those tools? Like are you guys still getting good turnouts at your shows when you go overseas? Yeah, so I mean, but the advantage to that is we've been going since 2002, right? Right. So if people follow the band, they've heard the band they're faithful fans. So they're like going to we come sitting, no matter what. And we're, I'm speaking about the European market, right? Right. Um, I mean, even in, in the U.S., like if we go back to a place, let, let's say that we played the fucking Double Down in 2007, like some people will still come back if they hear you're coming to town. Right. Just because they follow you. But um, yeah, like by and large, it's just paying those dues in the early days has paid off, but we really don't see like... Um, like this, this younger generation, you know. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it's kind of like um, people our own age. Yeah. So there, there's not there's not much of a return on it, and like I've noticed, I've noticed even when we put money into budgets, it like we don't get much of a return on it, you know. And we we did a tour a couple years ago, or no, yeah, we did a tour about a year ago. A little over a year ago, because it was it was right when Sarah was first pregnant, so probably uh, last fall, and uh, it was us and the Blind Staggers, and we went out to the Pacific Northwest, and that used to be something of a stronghold for us. Yeah, I know you guys went there a lot. Yeah, we went there a lot, and our turnout for shows has dropped precipitously, and I think a lot of it just has to do with, like I said, our audience is... 35 to 44 year old guys who mm-hmm. once we get to be our age have to work in the morning yeah we have kids. work in the morning we have kids and we have you know we only have so much free time and you can only go to so many shows a year so it's like the likelihood of those people coming out to see you play in their town has just dropped so much and and I know that's been the experience for us here in the states and I was just I was kind of curious what your experience has been going around and touring in the States over the last the last five years, we'll say. Man, um, so I'm trying to think of like the last big banger that we did was probably in 2016. 
we went all the way to, uh, yeah, maybe 2016. We went all the way to Florida and back. Uh-huh. And, uh, and like we went through Alabama and even then, man, like a lot of these gigs. Oh, so we had like a, a real booking agent by this point, like a Nashville right. guy. And, um, he booked us like some anchor gigs at, um, what would uh, basically be the equivalent of like a Buffalo Wild Wings, right? And, and okay, so it, oh it's, the, it's the Applebee's circuit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> what do they call that? The Chitlin circuit, yeah, like, the Applebee's circuit, same thing, dude. It's the, it's a new thing. It's man. the Onion Blossom circuit. There and, is an Applebee's circuit. That's it, a real thing. Uh, for real? There's a real thing. I need to get on that motherfucker. Yeah, that. right. I'd if be, it yeah. pays anything, like the, the Buffalo Wild Wings circuit, because <laughs> like for real, guys, like we would play these gigs. Um, I forget the name of the spot, man, and, but it's only in the South. And we were in the South in like uh, the fall, right? And which is when college football is going on. Right. They don't give a fuck about bands. And it's basically a sports bar. Yeah, right? they don't give a fuck about but bands. But here, here's 800 bucks, right? Really? Yeah, 800 bucks. Do a couple sets, 800 bucks. And a hotel. Right. And we're like, fucking... But it's just total beatdowns, right? Because, you know, the game's on behind you. Right. Right? And people are like, just shut the fuck up. Da, da. Oh, yeah. And uh, But we had we had two of those gigs. That kind of anchors it. And then everything else is like shit we booked ourselves, like, you know, squats, punk houses. Or like some friend which, of yours. Which are fucking gnarly gigs. Like the kids are just beating the shit out of themselves. Right. But you, you're not making any merch or, you know. Right. It, it's passing the hat. And you, you always have that uncertainty there's not a ton of retention either it's like it's like they're just stoked that there is a band there right they're gonna they're gonna smash it up no matter who's there and then they're gonna wander off and be teenagers you know what i mean it's very few of them are like following you for life you know what i mean there's 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 very little conversion from it i've noticed from playing like the punk houses and things like that or like you know the shows for like Crazy tweaker locals. Have you ever done those type of shows? Tweaker locals. No, I don't think I should be doing gigs we did, like that. <laughs> we did one in uh, in Salem, Oregon at this place called the Blacklight Bar. And it was a bunch of locals and everybody kept disappearing to the back for some reason. Dude, there was a there was an old drunk lady passed out at a slot machine at the front of this bar. And That's every awesome. and there's black lights throughout the whole bar and a bunch of like black light friendly stuff. There's no other light coming into this place. All the windows are blacked out. There's no stage lights, nothing. Everything in the entire place is black lights and black light posters and stuff that glows. I, sh- I shit you not, this is a real place, the Black Light Bar in Salem, Oregon. And look um, it up, man. And uh, so already people look creepy. You know what it looks like? Is it looks like a laser tag arena. Like the inside of this fucking bar, right? It sounds either really cool or really terrible. It was both because it was, and it was super surreal because there's like, you know, Salem is not a terribly prosperous town to begin with. You know, it's, it's the underbelly of Oregon for sure. Like, like Portland is kind of like a a liberal it's like progressive Denver, it's right? kind of like denver yeah, I mean, in the middle of a bunch of crazy forest people you know what i mean like uh, we have like denver is this oasis in the middle of like this like you know crazy mountain folk and like gun like a bunch of ted kaczynski's all over right. the place you know what deliverance I mean? oh yeah shit. crazy so um so already salem is kind of rough right but then 
there's all these, there's this handful of townies, like local people that are hanging out. Like I said, there is a old drunk lady passed out. She looked dead sitting at a, a, a video poker machine or a, a, a slot machine or whatever. And the bartender's just ignoring her. And I assume that was like her MO. That was a regular thing that she did. But all these kids kept like disappearing into a back room with one of the bartenders there. And then the more they disappeared, the more alert they got and the more friendly they got and the more chatty they got. And eventually we're up on stage playing for like 20 townies high on speed, all with their cell phones out with the lights on, like filming. Looking up like how much your gear is worth. (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) filming us, filming us. Like, dude, I'm talking like we're in this black light room and all we can see are these like, these oscillating orbs of light emanating from these people's faces as they're like getting in and getting all close and like not not, like jamming out to the show, just like shoving their camera phones in our face and shit like that. I never saw one single solitary piece of footage from that show. Right. I never saw one video. I never saw one photograph. All I saw was a bunch of tweakers filming the show. That fucking sucks, man. Y- you know what I mean? So, like, tweakers don't know how to tag <laughs> they people. Don't they don't know how to post. Well, they don't have time for it. <laughs> they don't, they don't have time for it. There's people out to get them. No, so, so yeah, so, it's, I mean, it's kind of the same thing when you, like, do those those punk house shows. It's like, they'll get rowdy, and they'll smash shit up, but... They're probably not going to be buying any merch at the end of the night. Fuck no. They don't have the money for it. They're spending it on beer or or meth. Some member of your band's going to fucking make out with a local chick and piss all the motherfuckers off. The whole scene off. Yeah, and the, you're never going to be invited back till next year when you're playing again and then the whole fucking same thing happens. Well, but the but and, and by that time the whole scene will have turned. And it's a whole new crop of kids. And the ones from last time, it's like, oh, we had a big problem in our scene. Like a bunch of people moved and a bunch of people got into fights with one another. And and so-and-so did this to so-and-so. And now nobody comes here anymore. That's, yeah. So I had, I had a question about this this Applebee's circuit thing. This is really interesting to me. So The Buffalo Wild Wings thing? Or yeah, the, the Buffalo Wild Wings thing. Hey, don't get the two mixed up. I'm sorry, yeah. The, I want to know about the Applebee's. The, on, the onion blossom circuit. Whatever it is. <laughs> the awesome blossom The circuit. awesome blossom circuit so what what's the rationale for them having a band while there's i could not tell while you they're, man. while they're you know the obviously the main attraction is like you know a game that they're because i've because i've been in that situation before like i've it's like okay so we're here playing a show but the, it's just like tvs everywhere and we're and each of them has like a different game on right and they're not going to turn off those because there's no you know there's no right. point you're playing a sports bar basically. i think it's a vibe thing like hard rock cafe does that because it's you know, just weird. It's like, why, why, you know, like if people aren't really enjoying what we're providing here, what, you know, like what's, what's the, what's I think the they look rationale? at it the same way, like a kitschy Mexican restaurant uses a fucking mariachi band. You know what I mean? They're like, it's just part of the vibe and we're willing to pay the money right. for that part of the vibe. See, and and that, it's like, we'll almost, put a rock and roll band in the corner. There's sports on the TV. That and almost makes more sense with like an acoustic band or like singer songwriters or like, I don't know, like that. Not, not a, yeah. not a punk band. I yeah, think like really, a loud band just, it seems it's, weird. It's, it's a just, money laundering, like. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's absolutely money laundering. Now that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> because, or like somebody owed that 
Booker a favor, and he's like, "Hey, I'm bringing this band out. I want 800." Right. Know. Or a tax write-off thing. It, it's like something fucked can, up. Dude, they can write it off as a as a, a promotional expense or whatever it might be. I think we played. Um, God damn, we played. One of those gigs was in South Carolina, and it was when fucking it was like the Clemson versus South Carolina game. Right, and you guys are playing in the and, and we're and we couldn't even play till the game was over, right? And the and yeah, the game went to yeah. overtime, so and we're like, whatever, you know, like it's this is gonna get us to the next town, and um, like I don't even remember selling merch. Like we did Savannah like that, like Savannah's a rocking fucking town, man, but not when you're playing. And actually, it's crazy. So uh, people from Denver came to see us at this on the uh, Applebee circuit. That or whatever. happens a lot. Where people from Denver are the only, like, your hometown people that, like, want to see you play and want to see you do well. Like, your top supporters from other places will come see you in a place because, like, like we had people drive across country, follow us just to see us play at the Whiskey A Go-Go. How was that gig? Dude, I mean, we got to play the Whiskey A Go-Go and our name was on the marquee. We got to play the Viper Room another time, and our name was on the marquee, and it was cool to have that experience, but it's a tourist trap for bands. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's the same thing as like someone who wants to be a movie star going to Hollywood and like winning a contest to be an extra in a movie or paying to be in an extra in a movie or sure. something like that. Like That's a drag, man. Like when we did the Whiskey A Go-Go... And I don't begrudge anyone for doing it because it's it's super fun, but I would not do it again. I would not do the Viper Room again. Were you headlining the whiskey show? Here's how they do it. Because the market in Hollywood is designed such that A&R people are going and hopping around clubs, everything works like a showcase. So what they have you do is you sell tickets and you get a slot on a showcase okay and and basically like in in any given night at the viper room or at the whiskey or the key club or any of these places there's a bunch of slots in the night none of the bands are hanging out together none of the bands are like booking stuff together unless it's like an outside promoter comes in like when we played at the whiskey a go-go it was us in our dressing room and then like four other dressing rooms that had acts that were playing that night and each act goes on and they set up their stage show and their crowd comes in and watches them and then their crowd fucks off and your crowd comes in. Like, Damn, this is, there's no cross-pollination between really, the crowds. Not really, not really. It's because Are the what band you can similar do, sounding? Not at all. Everybody's on a fucking Pretty acid much. trip. We like, we like nice. played, like we played shows with like, like pop acts and like, like what we see happen, what we saw happen a lot is you could tell that a band had invited a bunch of A&R reps out and they did their show and then they left and did whatever they did with the A&R reps or, you know, who knows if they even showed up. A lot of it's just people going in and getting video footage, getting pictures of their name on the marquee. They're just trying to create the optics of... Of being there, right. you know what I mean. They're just bragging rights. Yeah, they're just they're just trying to add it to their resume. They're trying to show on their. Uh, it, it, it's like going to Europe. You know, Martin Atkins used to uh, suggest to bands uh, faking a European tour. 
He'd be like, tell people you're, and this is before social media was as ubiquitous, ubiquitous as it is, yeah. now, prevalent as it is now. And he'd be like, Fake tell, a Japanese tour. Fake. Yeah, yeah. He's like, tell people you're going uh, to Europe on tour and then go hide out in a cabin for a couple of weeks. And fucking, he's like, just just pretend. He's like, Jesus make it up. Christ, I mean, man. people aren't doing that anymore, you know, because they can't get away with that. We always used to joke that we wanted to do kind of like a third world circuit, right? Like go to Iraq. Right. Go to like Syria. <laughs> Dude, have you seen that? Um, do you remember when No Effects had that show for a minute? Uh, no Effects backstage passport. Yeah. That was their whole thing. Is they were like, we decided we wanted to go tour in these places where we have fans, but we've never toured before. So they like went to China. They went to some places in South America. They went to some places in the Middle East and and you know in Southeast Asia. I think they went to um, they went to Singapore. And right. The show didn't last very long, but the whole thing was just like. Showing how I kind of watched a couple episodes of that where and it's, it's kind of like show. they're slow. It's like The Shining, right? Where he's like slow, the band slowly going crazy. Oh yeah, they're like looking for like blue space coke or something. Oh yeah, that was in Singapore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they found that like that green, the green space coke. Yeah, yeah no, that was that, I remember that. And they're they're like we could totally be executed for having this right yeah. now, which I'm sure they're you know. That was just something their producers. Sure they could buy their way out of it, hopefully. Yeah, well, and it was also probably just something their producers wrote into the script. Yes. But green space code. Yeah, just tell them, like, we'll make up some fake drug in Singapore and we'll it's make it fun look dip, like you guys. Yeah, you know? it's pretty we, good. we played with No Effects this last year in, uh, Did you? in Austria. Yeah, we supported them. Um, I, heard you, uh, I, I heard your wife talking about. Uh, Talking about them sitting and waiting for you while you guys played a show in Austria. That's fucking awesome. That was the gig they yeah, that they came That's to. That's awesome. Yeah, it was killer, man. And um I would say there was probably nine hundred people fit into a place for five hundred. Like, See, that's amazing. And it's like you're just it's this I mean it's fun and you're like you're fucking killing it, but it's this nervous energy, like something could go really wrong like the coconut grove you know what i mean like the places go up in flames and <laughs> because it because of the shot oh, shoddy old construction yeah, yeah man you're like what the fuck like the wiring doing? that's like 500 but no years not old. really man like ev- everyone there was a really professional and no i i, I but it was Austin. a lot of people in a, in a small place and right but that, no effects was really gracious and uh they were cool so it's cool to us, you know. Do it, like, but I mean, that's what kind of blows your mind, man. Where, like, while we were talking about, like, here in the states, like, okay, over in Europe, we're playing the sold out gig with no effects, and then we come here, and then it's like, fuck, man. If, if we go down, yeah, you'll get your two drink tickets, and you'll like it. Yeah, I mean, and like we've carved out little places, you know, that um, same that are like they're good for the money, they're good for the food, they they treat us right, but it's every spot in between there. Oh yeah, and like, like California, man, is like just—it's an extortion racket, right? They're, they're just especially in Hollywood. Yeah, and we've never especially even done. Hollywood. We've played, um, God, man, like over the years, we've played in like Silver Lake, and I mean, we've done some really cool things, but again, it's all been kind of like underground shit. It's not been—it was just like you know, fortuitous that we happened to be in the right place at the right time, right, for this underground scene. Right. The the thing that I've noticed in Southern California. Is because there are they are so used to bands. It's the 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 value of bands. Like I said, you know, like I said before, the conversion rate is so small. You know, they're used to seeing amazing bands at open air festivals for free. Mm-hmm. Especially when you go to places like beach communities. Like I, I I'm actually going out there to do some gigs with Monolith, one of my side projects in um in February. 
And those shows are super fun and they're well attended, but the money is not super great and the merch sales aren't super great because everybody's spending their money on beer and they're not used to having to pay for anything. Right. You know what I mean? And like, you know, you go do these gigs like on the Buffalo Wild Wings circuit, you know, the best paying gigs are not always going to be the best gigs. You know, it's like you're playing for a handful of people who don't even want you there and you're getting that pay at the end of the night as opposed to going and playing some huge show where the money may not be amazing, but you're playing for 900 people. Like we've, you know, we've done a few tours now where they don't call it a buy-on, but it's essentially a buy-on. You I mean you're fucking- I was just going to ask you about buy-ons, man. Yeah. Because it seems like, like, for example, um, I mean, let's take like, a, just in my genre, like punk rock, let's say Bad Religion comes. Right. Yeah, I, I don't even think you can buy onto a Bad Religion gig anymore because no, everything comes as a package. You know, it's Bad Religion with Pennywise, with Face to Face. Right. And Well, that's the only way you're going to sell tickets. Right. Yeah, like... like I went and saw, it was the Vans Off the Wall tour or something like that, and it was Motorhead, Valiant Thor, The Misfits, fucking uh, Airborne, year-long disaster. Like, it was this stacked bill, and they dropped the middle curtain at the Fillmore. Do you know what I'm talking about, the middle curtain? Uh-huh. When they have a sparsely attended show, they have a middle curtain that they drop down to make it look bigger to cut a sight line to draw people into coming closer to the stage. Like it's the same thing as like when the Oriental closes the um, the balcony or okay. the, the Bluebird closes the va- balcony. You know they want to they know it's going to be undersold, so they want to drive people more towards the front. Like you have to do these package shows to even get enough people in through the door to to fill your spot because the market value of any individual band has been has been driven so low right you know i had a uh, i had blaine cartwright and I've, I've i've referred to this a couple times just because it blew my mind so much but like blaine cartwright was in here and he was saying that their worldwide budget dropped by like 70 80 percent jesus like you know when they made from hell to texas they did that at Palomino Studios, Willie Nelson's fucking studio. You know, they went and lived there and made a record and 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 like vibed had, and like oh yeah, yeah, had this immersive experience. And he's like, now our budget, we're lucky if we can go in and and knock it out punk rock style in a week. Like he's like, that's that's really all the budget allows. And that's a band that I for a long time have considered to be legendary top tier yeah top, top shelf tier. top shelf shit, top man. tier man you know they're they're rock stars in my eyes and you know and and i'm and it's happening in europe too but even over in europe the complaints i'm hearing from the bands over there it's like man you guys you guys should come out and see what's going on in the states because it's a fucking wasteland dude. Yeah, like so, so like in um you know talking about budgets um I think um, it must have been around 2012, going into 2013. We had just finished uh, Lover's Leap. Right. And Great album, by the way. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's uh, it's the album that shouldn't have been made. but <laughs> It shouldn't have been made. But, yeah, me and Ty were the only ones making that fucking record. And uh, <laughs> it's um, so, yeah, th- that album was made on a tremendous 
stress and inner turmoil with the band, but somehow it came out like this amazing record, mm -hmm. right? I wouldn't. It's I wouldn't say it's the best one we've ever did, but it's pretty damn good. Yeah. And um, so we went to um, and we thought that this a label has to put this out because otherwise it's it, this. For example, my solo record. Fuck, it's like it's it's really good, but no label's gonna put it out. Mm -hmm. So we've tried hard, man. And um, our booking agent in Europe was kind of they knew someone at Century Media, which uh, I don't know if you guys know, but it's I mean it's it's a mini major, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Oh yeah. And uh, they no, had Century Media is Century Media is really good, yeah. And uh, so they had a little offshoot of their punk rock division, and they heard the record, and they were just they're fucking they were hard for it, right? And so we had to do a tour over there, and it was a, it was a, we called it the beatdown tour because it was like a fucking pentagram on a map, right? Right. And by now we figured that, okay, the booking agent's in bed with the fucking record label. So they're just trying to wear us down where we'll take any deal. Right. Like, this is like the, the trail of tears. And, but th this record label goes to two shows. And they go to the two fucking most amazing shows right. of the tour. And, like, we're laughing about it. We're like, these motherfuckers, like, they have no idea, like, how shitty this tour has been. <laughs> and um, so we're going back to America, dude, and we're like, we're going to write our fucking deal when we get home. And, like, we broke bread with these motherfuckers, and uh, spirits were high for sure. And we get back, and there's a fucking email immediately waiting on us. Um and like we're sending the contract over, you know, so good to hang with your boys, whatever. They send the contract, right? We're like, we were stoked. And uh, we had this, it's actually, it was uh, Joe Serling. He's the he's the lawyer that got Blondie her deal and like talking heads. I, I don't know how we got in touch with this dude, but wow. he was like pro bono looking at this contract. And he goes, if you sign this, you're the stupidest motherfuckers in the world. And we're like, R really? Right. And he's like, it was like a five record deal, right? No budgets were, you know, in the contract. Like you just make five records. And every time you make a new record, the first record renews for another five years. So they would have owned Lover's Leave for 25 years. Holy right? shit. Yeah. So we're like, all right, okay, look, Joe, we're, we just got beat the fuck down. Is there a way that – he's like, this is the bare minimum. You have to give yourself a way out. So he wrote something in there is like, which was totally reasonable, right? Mm -hmm. um, basically, he was like, well, you got to give us at least 10000 And if that record does good, you got to give us 20000 for the next record, blah, blah, blah. And we sent it back to him, and they're like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not negotiating. This is the deal. Yeah. And we're like, well, fuck you. They don't need to negotiate. Yeah, That's the thing. They don't need to negotiate because so behind you – is a million fucking bands yeah, man, that'll sign that deal. They'll sign that shitty deal. Yeah, and and bands are signing that shitty deal all the time. And the alternative is you can get like, we have a fair deal with a label with limited resources. That's, yeah, and that's kind of where we are now, the same thing, man. Where like they'll match us on stuff occasionally. Right. But they're very pragmatic about it. They're not. They're not going to go too out of pocket. Like dropping three hundred bucks on an ad campaign that doesn't perform is is considered a loss in their eyes. Like they're like they're like, yeah, well, that kind of turned out to be a waste of money. It's like Jesus, man, come on. Like you know, or they'll they one tour we did, they invested the money to get us on the bus, 
but then we had to pay for all the backline and everything else. You know, we, they agree to print our records and it's essentially like a loan for getting your records printed. Well, like, yeah, that's what a label should be, man. It yeah. be your fucking bank. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, like but, we, they bought the printing of 300 records and then gave us X number of records. I think they gave us like 30 records and then everything else we have to buy from them at cost. Yeah, you know ideally I mean? they should, yeah, labels should be fronting the money for that, for those manufacturing costs. And right. And stuff. So we have a fair deal and they, they also, now they also don't have conflict of interest like we have here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's good and bad things associated with that. But what it basically means is they are our label, our management company and our booking agency. So their whole job is to put put opportunities in front of us and put us in front of opportunities. However, because there are so many bands on the label and there are so many projects that they have to keep track of, their resources and attention and energy go to the 10 to 20% of their roster that is doing 80% of their business. Yeah. You know, so getting a piece of ear is hard, you know, offers for tours are few and far between, you know, it's like we get them, but we don't, we don't get a ton of them. And then when we do get them, it's like, we've got to pay to be on the bus. We've got to split the backline costs and we don't get paid for the gigs. Fuck. The only thing that we are getting is our merch money and the exposure essentially. And they've never been dishonest about that. No, I mean, that's what I noticed too, man. Is that, oh, is this like the European stuff? Yeah, this is our European label. Yeah. The, this is Rodeo Star. Shout out to Rodeo Star Records. For Rodeo Star Records. Yeah. What's up? What's up? What's up? Uh, yeah. Um, and they have connections and they can, they can get us in front of stuff, but you know, they, they have limited time and resources to, to throw our way, you know? That's rough, man. And that's a, that's the problem with a lot of these labels, man, is that, like they're so passionate about the bands they work with that they'll, they'll sign a lot of bands and right. they, they want to have this fucking passion for everybody, but they got too many irons in the fire, like too many too many dogs, not enough bones. Right, right, kinda. right. So. Yeah, I don't know, man. It's And it's, it's like. That's why the roster for my label is very lean. Yeah, yeah. No, now uh, that's something I'm curious what's about. What's your label, Gordo? Yeah, what's it like for you running a label? Like Gordophonic Records. Yeah, Gordophonic Records. That's a, okay. How, yeah, is it yeah. how many bands you got on there? Basically, we have uh, Granny Tweed. At the most, we yeah, we got Tweed on there. Um, my solo stuff is on there. Uh, Wiener Cat. Uh, Randy is on there. Randall Conrad Olinger cool. is yeah. on there. Where, where's um, Randy at now? He lives in Texas, don't he? Yeah. He's down in Austin. Yeah, Austin. he's down in Austin. Yeah. Dude, yeah. he's living the Big life. Time, he's, got a, boy. He's, he's got a residency down there in Austin. He's it's, living uh, the life, dude. Like, I love Randy, man. He's, like he's Randy's, great. Randy's working. We had him on the podcast, and he's... Dude, he's one of the hardest working guys. Shout out to Randy. What's up? What's yeah. up? What's up? Yeah. What up, he's, dude? He's always working. Yeah. Always, always working. working. Always playing, man. And you got a bunch of kids, too, don't you? Yeah. And that's, and that's another thing, too. He's got is, a couple, yeah. yeah. Take those like, kids on the road with him? I, uh, I don't think he does. No, I don't think so. No. And but, he, you know, he's, he's had them come up and play with him at gigs, though. Yeah, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's another sacrifice is like, is you have to, especially when you have kids, you've got to pick your battles. Yeah. You know, you've got to choose those opportunities and like the value of your time goes way the fuck up 
once you've got that person who just wants you to be around. You know what I mean? When you're, you're, my time became much more valuable after having a kid. It's, it does change everything, man. Yeah. I've been pretty lucky. Um, like that, that, the fucking Applebee circuit I told you about. Yeah, yeah. Like Camille and Brixton came out for at least half of that. You know, they were in the van for seven days. And uh, like whenever we go to Europe, like a big festival like Rebellion, they're there. That's so cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, like, that's like the dream as far as I'm concerned is being it, able to it, take it. Looking your, at a car seat in the fucking van, is, it's a cool feeling, dude. That's so cool. And it's kind of like you're growing up a little bit. You know? So how do, you, how do you make that work? Like being a dad and – I mean, how, how many gigs a year are you playing now? Um, so, I mean, God, I don't even count, bro. I would say we did – I mean, really not that many right. in the grand scheme of things. It, I do a lot of uh, – just grinders with my solo stuff, just me and some buddies right. around town, which are they're good, you know they're good gigs. They, and um, and then Reno plays. We were playing too much. Like our 2020 resolution is like we're not going to play that much in town, right? And um, we're just going to focus on writing new stuff. And right. we've got Rebellion this year. Um, so I mean, like I drive Uber and then like Lyft. That's my side hustle and right. just whatever petty crime. You know, <laughs> right, right, right. Like whatever I can get by on, but um, yeah, it's definitely uh, slowed down since the baby, right? You know, but at this, it, we, it's weird. Like the European market has gone up, and just we're we're lucky that you know Camille's job affords her to to come out like that, right? But um, and you guys are able to get in front of a higher quality of opportunity. That that produces better results, right? Yeah, o- over in Europe. For yeah, sure, like man. you guys are going over there and doing festivals, and you're doing. How are you now? How are you guys getting these bigger gigs? Like you said, you played with uh, with No Effects in in Austria. That's all. So, like the No Effects gig was uh, from a good friend of ours, Sally Wally, who lives in um, in Austria. You know, she's just she's dialed in to the scene, right? And she's like, I don't give a fuck. You guys are playing this gig. I'm going to make it happen one way or the other. Did you guys do a whole tour to support it, or did you just fly out for the one gig? No. Uh, so our tour was kind of weird this year. Like, we came back for a couple of weeks because we had a festival in a, in the States. and uh, we It just, wasn't the festival we played together, was it? Uh, <laughs> I don't, when was that, actually? Oh, that was July, I think is what it was, when we played the the Maggie's Farm Festival. And and no, that would have happened degrees. during that. Yeah, that did happen during that. <laughs> we had to take a break from our European I, tour. To come back. To come back and play in a 3,000-degree parking <laughs> lot for a bunch of angry Puebloans. That was a fun gig, though. It was man. fun. No, it was a fun yeah. gig. It was just way too hot. It was fucking... It was I so thought we bad. were on the planet Mercury, dude. Dude, it was so bad. And it's just like, it's just like big sheet of fucking asphalt and then like like islands of shelter that people were just like hiding under and the crowd just looked so like they looked like they were suffering everybody's trying to get inside to, to oh, buy yeah. some weed and there's a fucking one hour wait yeah to even go. yeah so yeah so how i I'm, I'm curious how you guys have ended up finding because i remember years ago I worked at the Rockaway and Johnny would come by the Rockaway and I was really curious about how Reno Divorce was getting the opportunities that you guys were getting besides just being a good band. 
Like I know that being good, you know, constitutes a lot of that success. But what what were the connections that you were making? What were the no connections? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, so yeah, it's funny you say that, man. So like back in those days, it was it was just a totally different climate, especially like for local shows, right? And um, like there there wasn't pre selling tickets and stuff like that. So they're really pushing the pre-sales now, man. To fucking, I, not, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot by commenting on it, man, because it's hey, like hard t- enough for comment, me to get a fucking hey, gig right now. Comment away. Can we and, take a, a like a restroom break? Real yeah, quick? yeah, 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 yeah. Let's take a quick break, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk. Well, we're shit. gonna talk shit. We're gonna talk some fucking mad shit. <laughs> All on right, this. cool. Yeah, let's take a break. Brixton, say hi. Brixton, what's up, what's up, what's up? Yeah, say hi real quick. Hey, everybody out there in in, in podcast land. Say something to the mic. Say something to the microphone. What do you think about your dad's stuff? What do you think about his music? Tell me something. Okay, tell them how much you like playing music with dad. No. No. (laughs) He's like, I don't want to lie to the people. No. I haven't learned to lie yet. Do you, do you remember? <laughs> Are you kidding me? They learned to lie the second they, they hit the planet. Oh, man. Tell them that you're excited about playing Rebellion again. Oh, are you guys going to Rebellion Festival? You were saying something about that. Mm-hmm. Brixton played Rebellion already once. He already he did. You've already, I haven't even Two played times. Rebellion. He's That's been really on stage, cool. hasn't he? Has, well, he only went on stage the one time. That's really cool. That's another thing. Like, have you seen... This have you is s- my second time going on stage. Are you going to play acoustic or are you going to play electric? I I better pick. You got to decide. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm playing acoustic and electric. <laughs> Have you seen the video of uh, Scott Ian's kid playing with the Foo Fighters? No, dude, that made me cry my face off. Guitar? Yeah. I bet Scott, he rips. Dude, Scott Ian's kid. You know, he's he's probably just a little bit older than Brixton. Like, and he's you know, his guitar looks gigantic in front of him, and he's he plays. Uh, I want to say he plays like Everlong with him or something like that. Like go, That's goes awesome. goes out on stage, and the best part is Scotty Ian is off in the wings the whole time, you know, with his cargo pants and his big beard, and you know, looking like fucking Scotty Ian, and just like holding his cell phone out and like filming his kid, and as soon as. You know, as soon as he gets off, the camera catches Scotty and putting his arm around his kid, and he's like, "You were awesome! You ripped! That was great! Ah, just so excited to That's see his kid!" That's super up. cool, man. Created a monster, though. That kid is going to expect every gig to be like to that. be like the fucking poof, <laughs> dude. My kid is obsessed with my guitar, obsessed with it. Like I played it for him from the moment we brought him home. Then I've been playing songs. That's like before he could get around which now he's you know all over the house and into everything before that uh i would just sit and like when i was learn songs i would learn songs with him in the room and you know we're up to a couple hundred songs on the song list that i've been going through and and as a result he's just used to being around that and now that he can get into stuff and he can do stuff on his own he he cried this morning when I put my guitar on the couch where he couldn't get to it. Like he was He's upset. got the bug, man. Dude, he wa- he wants to bang on it. He wants to ta- uh, touch the strings. I got him a uh, uh, Ike from Flipside Music 
Shout out to Ike from Flipside Music. Yeah. Yeah, he got me a glow-in-the-dark ukulele, like a little plastic ukulele that yeah, I they, gave they, to him. And they hooked me up uh, this weekend with, uh, with with one of my new purchases. So. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah. Flipside's that Flip joint off, music. Broad, off Broadway? Off a coma, yeah. A coma. Hey, maybe we should shout out the sponsors real quick. Yeah, get that out of the way. Okay. Let's do that. For, uh, well, we won't do our usual first sponsor since we're... Since we're already talking about Flipside Music, but first of all, shout out to Flipside Music on South Tacoma Street. They're at the Rock Block with uh, Blackout Screen Printing and the Keep and all that stuff. Um, man. Ike and Dylan. Dude. Ike and Dylan. Dude, they have such a cool spot, man. They've got retail. They've got the largest selection of effects pedals in the region. Yeah, it l- makes you slobber when you walk in there. It's like the walls are just covered with stomp boxes. Dude, they showed me some Beautiful. stomp box that is specifically made for processing effects for vocals. Like, it's it's a stomp box that you would, like, run the rest of your array into and then you can run your mic into that and run it DI. And, you know, one of the big problems that you run into with running your vocal effects on stage is those pedals aren't made to send signals the same way that they would off of a guitar amp or something like that. I don't know. I'm a singer guy. I don't know stuff. Balance versus Was this like a signal. delay pedal? No, no, no. For no. Your this, voice? This, is a, this is a pedal that you can run other pedals into so that it will perform optimally for vocals. Like, I could go get a guitar flange pedal. I could go get a guitar overdrive pedal. So it makes some wild-ass effect on your vocals. On your vocals, yeah. It's got the balanced inputs and the unbalanced inputs. Right, 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 right. So, and, and he, I went in there and he started showing me that, and I'm like, okay, that's gonna have to be a different day. But, uh, they've got, They've got guitars, they've got amps, they've got rehearsal like lessons, they've got lesson rooms in there. They're doing repairs, man. Like it's they're doing some really cool stuff over there. Go say hi to Ike and Dylan over at Flipside Music. All the stuff you Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. Dylan. Uh of course our most uh venerable Navenarial sponsor, Matula Plumbing. Matula! Shit rolls downhill. Don't be at the bottom. Your number two is our number one priority. Your shit is our bread and butter. Angie's List Super Service Award winner back in 2011, the only year that mattered. 1-1 is the only one. He'll wear the booties for ya. Master of Poopers himself, Jerry Matula. If you're in the Illinois, the Chicago Displains area, and you need uh, the shit piped right out of your house, Hit up Jerry Matula. Tell him the boy sent you. Mutiny Information Cafe to South Broadway in the heart of Denver, Colorado. Mutiny is everything, man. Books, coffee, cereal, records, live performances. Uh, they're doing podcasts now out of the basement. This is, of course, a mutiny transmission. Uh, no one has a larger selection of Torini syrups. No nobody. one. Is it no one or nobody? I, I don't know. Every, every time we I should, say it one way, switch. you say it the other. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I kind of like it. I think it gives it a little charm. It's anyway, rough around the edges. Yeah. Mutiny is badass. Stop by and see what it's all about. Tell the boys, aren't you? Uh, Rocket Space Rehearsal Studios off of 27th and Larimer over there next to the Larimer Lounge. It's the only place to rehearse. Yeah. It's the only place to rehearse. Rocket if Space. If you don't have a place to rehearse. If you don't have a place. Where do you guys rehearse? I, in the basement. Yeah. You've got. See, I miss that. I do miss the old band house. That was a lot of fun. 
Like, it's always good to but, have the on But I will premises. go to Rocket Space. I'll get down in Rocket Space every now and then. Yeah. Having when I'm the feeling on, chiefy. Yeah. I want to meet the boys halfway. I live in the suburbs, so right. it's Rocket Space is a great location for everybody. Right. Well, nothing and, beats having the on-premises practice pad, though. Yeah. Like, that's, oh, that's great. Nothing beats that. If you are not so fortunate to have a rehearsal space in your home, stumbling distance from your bedroom, fear not. Rocket Space has got you covered, and you ain't got to carry shit. And they're stumbling distance from the Larimer Lounge. And they're stumbling distance from the Larimer Lounge. So you can waste your money by getting tooled up over there at the uh, at the Larimer Lounge with our good buddy Mikey Mulligan. And Mikey Mulligan. Stumbling over to the rocket space there in a blackout and uh, coming out assuming that you had a practice. And for some reason, all your bandmates are mad at you and you don't really know why. Rocket space. You ain't got to carry shit. TheNugNation.com. This is uh, this podcast and a bunch of other cool stuff come out of the Nug Nation Studios here in beautiful Denver, Colorado, at an undisclosed location in Rhino, not low high, not sobo, not high toe, not slow high, not slow high, Rhino. Yeah, man, uh, we took you on a tour of the of the facilities. What did you think? I was not expecting this fucking this level of production, man. It's fun. I thought this was like a basement. You like thought you were going to come over to I, my house and be yeah. in the basement? Like, <laughs> I'm like, where the fuck does this motherfucker live, man? <laughs> a bunch of warehouses? No, dude. It's but su- no, this is this is dope, man. Like, literally. It's super A lot of dope here. A lot of dope here. A lot of dope. You know what's the funny thing? Is almost no one here really smokes pot. Like, Trevor, who you met, our graphic design guy, like, he's he's got a wife and a daughter, and he's got he's too like, much to do. Time he's got, no, he's got no time for that. Like, Mikey doesn't... But like, Mikey accidentally got high shooting some uh he was shooting some sort of ad for a, a distillate company of some sort and they had some um they had like diamonds you know what i mean like for dabs that these kids are doing there's like wax shatter diamonds like he was shooting something for diamonds and it's in a medium that has a ton of thc in it and he was trying to put together this shoot and make it look right and he went to clean off one of the diamonds by like like sucking on it and cleaning oh. it off and putting it in there. And I don't think he was, and he never smokes. So he got insanely high. He's that's, been high before though. He's been high before. Okay. I mean, cool. I mean, we work in the weed space and, and he gets high once in a blue moon. Right. But not dabs. Like, have you ever taken a dab before? Fuck no. Yeah, I did actually. And it, did it ruin your day? Yeah, it's not good, man. Yeah, the THC overdose. I don't really like marijuana to begin with. Dude, THC overdoses are a real thing. I took a low temp dab. Shout out to my boy fucking Farmer Joe, Joey Klontz out there who gave me my first low temp dab and ruined my day. Ruined my day. Anyway, it, like so you're floored, being like, too oh, absolutely high. Floored, dude. Worthless it's after so, it. You, yeah, yeah, I, it's you know me. A, I can't shut the fuck up. I went silent for an entire day. <laughs> you went dark. Yeah, I was just in, I was just in my head, and they're like, they're like, Aaron, we haven't been hearing much from you all day. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Low temp dad. I'm just man. so incredibly high. That's uh, yeah, that's what my my stepdad. My stepdad's quite the quite the weed enthusiast, and he uh, he took a dab at a party we were at up in Longmont, and um, I I didn't really. We were all sitting around a campfire outside, and we were all sitting down, and and. Uh, I've been sitting out there for like 20, 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, like my sister started talking like over my head. And I was like, you know, looking behind me. I'm like, and he was standing there. He had been standing there the whole time. And he was just, 
just totally just frozen, completely frozen. Yeah, just didn't, and he didn't even know. He didn't even know how to respond. I don't know how people do it, man. Like I, like I took one. I took one at my buddy's place in Washington once, and I turned green, just ran to bed. I just went and jumped into bed, and like the world started spinning. And then I went and took the biggest shit I've ever taken, and I was fine. And, and you felt normal. I, I, or well, just, I didn't feel normal, but, you, but I better. took a shit and I felt better. And what I think it was is like when you get that high, like when you have a THC overdose, your body doesn't know what to do, so it just starts expelling stuff. Like it's like I think we're dying. We better push everything out of here just in case. So blood coming out your ears, <laughs> <laughs> dude. It was fucking crazy. That reminds me of my grandmother saying. I could just shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, the Nug Nation, man. Nobody smokes weed, but we make a whole bunch of cool stuff. Well, Max smokes weed, our production assistant, Max, and I smoke weed. And that's it. And we still make awesome weed cartoons. Check out upcoming stuff we got going on with Red Man. Uh, we got an episode of Potty Talk with Bong Burgundy coming out with Ritz. Actually, uh, I talked to the Nappy Roots today. And uh, they, they were in town doing a show last night, and uh, Garrett over at the Oriental was trying to feed them. And he goes, he goes, hey, are you at Fire on the Mountain tonight? I said, yeah. And he goes, oh, I've got to feed Nappy Roots. I was thinking of getting them wings. And I said, uh, I said, oh, tell him Bong Burgundy says hi. And he, like, sends me a screen cap, and it's, like, from the Nappy Roots. It's like, oh, that's our fucking boy. Da, da, da. It made me feel really good yeah, to, man. like, have famous rapper friends. Nice. You know what I mean? Like I can't do anything in the rock and roll world, but like I have friends that are that are like Grammy award winning rappers, and that feels. I have good. rapper friends, but it's the W at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> like they work at they work at Target. <laughs> they they yeah. work at the they, fucking UPS store. They, yeah. ra- they rap back. shit. Yeah, man. Uh, so yeah, so shout out to thenugnation.com. Thank you for letting us do our podcast here. Um. What else? What else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Patreon. Are we to the Patreon? Oh, Evergroove oh, Studio atop yeah, Black Mountain in Evergreen, Colorado, the finest recording studio ever anywhere. It's the best. Seventy percent solar powered. Solar. Beautiful views. State of the art equipment. They just did a new rebuild, and their staff is amazing. We're getting ready to go back up there and do 20 brand new songs. Um, Brad is in the process of mixing and mastering our new record, The Front Lines of Good Times Volume 1, which will be coming out here soon. And we just love those guys so much. They also donated our ATEM uh, live streaming TV switcher thingaroo. And eventually when we get a new computer, we're going to be doing live stream episodes every week. It's going to be badass, man. Can't wait to do it. Uh, where do you guys do your stuff? Uh, recording? Yeah, you just uh, recorded at home? Uh, our last one we did, um, we recorded everything in the basement in my old house in Park Hill, and we mixed at the Blasting Room. Oh, cool. Yeah. How was that? Everything. We always go to the Blasting Room. Yeah? Yeah. How do you like it? I love it. Yeah, I've always wanted to go up there. I've always just have wanted to have there? like. Have you ever like? No, I've just always wanted to have Jason Livermore or Bill Stevenson on my record credits. You know, what well, I mean? it, it helps. Yeah, it, it definitely helps the the way it sounds. The final product. I mean, everything sure. they turn out of there sounds great. Yeah. I just don't. I don't know if specifically what we do would be right for the blasting room. You they, know, what they I can mean? do it all, man. 
Do they do it all? Fucking Flowbots made a record there. Really? Puddle. Well, Jason worked on a Puddle of Mud record as no well. No way. Yeah, man, I'll never forget that shit. That's funny, man. It's funny that uh, so they they made that record, and I guess the bonus that he got was just fucking great. I'm sure it was insane. And he bought this fucking Mustang, dude. That was so boss, so titties, and uh, he. And so we were like in awe of it, right? We're like, how fast? Right. How many tickets you got of that motherfucker? And he told us this story, man, how some some dude came up to him in like a Pontiac fucking sunbird or something, like just some little four banger. Right. And was fucking getting on him at the light, right? Like, come on, <laughs> bitch. Let's go, motherfucker. And the fucking light turned green and the kid smoked him. Yeah. Right? In it, his Pontiac. Because, I mean, <laughs> it was like gas or whatever, mega turbos. Yeah, like, yeah, The kid yeah. knew what the fuck he was doing. It was highly tuned. And right. Jason's like, what the fuck, man? I have like this incredible fucking American-made machine, and this kid just blows me off the line. And this, it, we were making Tears Before Breakfast, and I didn't have song, uh, any lyrics for this song called Supercharger. Right. right. And he's telling me this story, and I'm just like, boom, boom, boom. Fucking, I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. So I'm in the studio that night. I stayed the night, and I wrote this song. And uh, I got called my buddy in uh, in Florida, who's like a NASCAR dude. And I'm like, well, does this make sense? This lyric here, blah, blah, blah. that's really cool. Yeah. So then, like, I, I go to cut the vocals that day, and he stops the recording. He goes, "Is this fucking song about me and the fucking and the sunbird?" I go, "Yeah, it is." That's great, man. Yeah. That's a re- that's a really cool insider inspiration story. right there. See, yeah, man, that's... it only happens here on the motherfucking podcast. Tune in every week. We do, we're dropping two episodes this week. Dropping two. Well, by the time anyone hears this, there'll be like two episodes dropped in eighty nine. Will be out by the... one week. Yeah, eighty nine will be out by the time. We'll be recording eighty nine by the time this one comes out, or close to it, something like that. That's really that's a really cool story, man. That's a really cool story. Uh, oh, last but most, the patrons, the people who back us via a small recurrent contribution on patreon.com slash mfruckus. I say it every week. You guys make the goddamn world go round. Uh, we appreciate you hanging with us month after month. We are so excited about the stuff that we're going to do here in 2020. We've got big plans, man. We are thinking more in terms of a decade than in a year. We have sat down and set some some numbers that we think are pretty manageable for things that we can accomplish, and it would not be possible without you guys. Uh, we're planning to do a shitload of shows and write a shitload of songs and make a shitload of comic books and a shitload of music videos and and a shitload of podcasts. I'm shooting for 500 podcasts in the next decade, uh, provided Gordo doesn't go running for the hills in the next year or two. Will you stick with me for 500 where, where, episodes? Where I got to go? Where yeah. am I going? You ain't got nowhere to be. Actually, like, we can't, we can't really talk specific details, but, like, Gordo and I are fucking around on the edge of becoming podcast producers. Like something, something like that. Something is some things are rumbling, and Gordo and I might find ourselves having a job making podcasts for a living here soon. And a big part of that is thanks to you patrons for helping us get this going every week. And uh, that little bit of help just gets us to the next opportunity. I was talking to Camille about um, she's been trying to get you to do some kind of subscription service. Yeah. So, and I remember when you guys when. MF Ruckus came out with this. I'm like, those. I've always thought you guys were at like the cutting edge of 
like marketing and I really how to appreciate promote that. Yeah, Thank you. like we like we love your band anyway. Like anytime we play with you, we get you guys fucking rule. Thanks, man. I appreciate. But I do kind of sit back and control you a little bit, and I'm like, man, that motherfucker Aaron's got it figured <laughs> out. <laughs> and, uh, He's very no, no for real. He's I very it. good at at doing all I that appreciate stuff. It. Yes. So yeah, man. And then, but I feel I feel like I'm I am just treading water in the middle no, of a fucking not, shark man. tank. No, you're not, man. You're not. So yeah, so I mentioned that. Uh, so I cataloged that in the back of my fucking hole ridden head. And, but Camille is, is kind of like you know she knows about the Patreon. Is that how you Patreon? Say? Yeah. And a lot of podcasts that I listen to is you know Patreon driven, but um. There's also a lot of other companies I'm that just are unreliable. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I right. could, you know, am I going to relapse? Right? Where, where he's gone for a month. Right. You know, but we, we, I'm, I'm a loose cannon. So, you know what? Maybe if I can get my shit together, I could. To that point, I. What has kept me on the straight and narrow, and, 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 and you know, and, and I. I tell no lies about what sobriety means to me. You know, like I am criticized by people who are who are big time 12 stepper program people that, you know, smoking a little weed and doing psychedelics once a year, like to them that that doesn't count as sobriety. But for me, who is someone who is a fall down blackout drunk in a cokehead on the road to self-annihilation, sure. there's a huge difference between that life and the life that I lead now. Well, I would agree and, with you there, man. Yeah. Like, and what, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, I think um, I think marijuana definitely makes you more mind. It, for me personally, it makes me more mindful. It makes me like less apt to want to go score like some hard drugs. Right. You know, and, and go on suicide missions. Right. It, it kind of just kind of opens your mind a little bit. Right. Well, what 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 I I mean, and that's just a side tangent. But what I have noticed is that by the more people that I am responsible for, the more people that depend on me, the more is at stake. Like, because of my job, because of what I've begun to create with the band, because of the patrons, because of my son and my wife especially, because because of what my journey into my version of sobriety has come to me, not only for me, but for other people, I have something greater than myself that I'm accountable for. Sure. And what I have found is that with things like Patreon and subscription service, it is less about, especially when people are supporting an artist, it's not the same as people paying for a Hulu subscription or a Netflix subscription or a Disney plus subscription or something like that. Like, yeah, they're paying for your content, but mostly what they're doing is they are investing in you and they they believe in what you do and so they want to they just want to support. Anytime I've sat down and talked with any of the patrons who are all close friends of ours, you know, it's been like, "Hey, so you know, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to get more of? What is your, you know, what are the things that you like most about being a patron? Across, like, unequivocally, the response has been, yeah, the stuff is cool. It's neat to to get the music before. It's neat to get the videos before. Like, it's fun and all, but the truth is I hardly ever check your Patreon. 
really all I am in it for is I believe in you guys and I want to help you out. And what I like about subscription-based models like that is it gives people a way to throw a couple bucks in the hat on a regular basis. And I think as old-school road warrior musician guys, we need to divorce ourselves from our old ways of thinking about, you know, the exchange of money and services. Because I think we have... We have this old school way of looking at it. Does that make sense? I'm like, 100, I 100% agree with that, Aaron. Yeah. Which kind of like, I mean, like we were sort of hinting at it earlier, like pre-selling tickets. Right, right, which exactly. Is, which goes against kind of like what when we you and I, for. when we were coming up, that shit was fucking unheard of. It's called pay to play. Yeah. And we don't like to do it. And when, Yeah. Maybe so. the Bluebird would give you like, okay, we're going to book you a show. And then we're going to give you these 21 and up comps. Comps, And, and yeah. you, can, you can pass these comps out, and anyone who is over 21 can come to the show because we're pretty sure that they're going to be drinking and we'll make our money back that way. But this new thing of like, you know, I love to do uh, an AEG show. I love to do a Live Nation show. You know, big love and respect to Danny Sachs and Ricky Aston and, and Scott Campbell and those people who are in those positions that keep giving us these great opportunities. At the same time, I don't like the fact that it's, it's coming down to just numbers and dollars and cents so much now you know and it's not about just like putting on a really great show that, that's the thing you yeah. know what i mean I mean, back in the it, it just seemed like maybe i'm nostalgic maybe i'm just like an old man now but it seemed like back in the day that was paramount building the good show right and if you build a good show it sold out every time and you didn't have to worry about it because it's a fun thing that people want to go to right and so and then and i'm not bagging on any younger bands because that opportunity now for them to to open up for bigger artists and get exposure is there right if they're if they can pre-sell these tickets and like you said it comes down to a bottom line dollars and right. cents but at the expense of the people going to the show let's say it's not a very good band yet they're still young right and the people going to the show are like what what the fuck this these bands don't even fit together right it, but but they took their tickets to their high school and and sold them to or you know, bought them themselves or bought them themselves uh, which yeah. uh, you know i've heard of bands doing that as well and we did that at the viper room we yeah. bought our own tickets yeah see i'm the only time that we've ever done the pre-sales that's exactly what we did <laughs> but you yeah, bought your <laughs> yeah you buy your own tickets and then you hand them out to people and it's fucked up because then if you're lucky like and and that that's the other thing too is the perceived value of the show goes way down and you're like struggling to like give your tickets away to people to come to the show and if you're lucky you're going to get a percentage of your money back at the end of the night it's a small small percentage like you give them 500 bucks you're probably going to get like 280 bucks back something if you're like yeah if you're wide open yeah you know? you know what i mean and that and that's if you buy all your own tickets like you're gonna get 280 bucks of your own money back you know and it just i don't know man it's it goes against so much of what i stand for and I mean, obviously i mean it must be working for these companies i mean because well i think i think that i think that they are scrambling to offset the the change in the market 
because so first you have the recording industry starts to take a shit, right? The recording industry starts to take a shit because of file sharing and and the the near extinction of CDs and physical media and things like that. Like their profit margins go way down. So then these companies start putting all their resources into building large production live events like that fucking U2 360 tour that they were doing for a while or whatever it is. Like there was a whole there was a whole documentary on Netflix where it was basically Live Nation made a documentary about one of their big guys that was that was booking all the shows so that they could legitimize what they were doing to the concert industry. So they drive ticket prices way up, and as a result, um, it, it excludes a lot of people. You know, people are uh, – you're, you're trying to get tickets to a show, and they're like, you know, I want to say this Green Day Weezer uh, Fallout Boy Tour is something like – they're like $300 tickets. Just general admission? Yeah. No. $300 tickets. Fuck, yeah, you, you know what I mean? So it's like... A, a comet needs to hit, like right in the <laughs> middle, man, of this country. Just black everything out, dude. Just cover us in fucking volcanic dust or something. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, that's uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's fucking... I can't disagree. Yeah. I mean, no, would you pay I, 300 bucks to see fucking Green Day and Weezer? No, no. Uh, who's going to do that? But, but who's here's... tripping here's, that bad where they would need to see fucking Green Day for 300 here, bucks? Here's the thing, is, is it's all perception. Because, like, when, like, I, I go see Ween every time they come to town, you know. Doesn't it, one of the guys live here? I thought uh, one of the brothers. I think, I think they're. He owns a place on uh, Broadway, I thought. They're, oh, Dean Ween owned part of the Honey Pot, which was okay. like a, a smoker friendly, like a smoking lounge or something like that. But I think his name has since been taken off of it. Like, he, he separated from it. I think he's, like. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what the whole story is, but Ween's he, not charging 300 bucks, are they? No, but what happens is their shows sell out super fast, and then you go on like any of the broker sites, and they're like two, three hundred dollars. The tickets. secondary market, right? But then you go to the show, and what the hippies do, and and what I do to a degree, so you just go stand out front and you put your finger up in the air and tell people that you're looking for a ticket, and you're normally going to get them for like 50 bucks. Okay. Now, even still, 50 bucks to go to a big concert, you know, and, and you know, stand out in the parking lot and try and get a ticket or, you know, get a hookup with a friend who can get you on the guest list or, you know people who are trying to dump their tickets at the last minute because they can't go. You can usually come up on that. But I was reading Barry Fay's book, and he's talking about people rioting because they were charging five bucks to see the Rolling Stones at Red Rocks. You know, people at Red Rocks that are like charging the gates mm -hmm. because they are outraged that people are charging $5 to go see the Rolling Stones play. You know what I mean? Right. And now we're living in this time where it's like, how much was it to go see the Rolling Stones last time they were here? Probably two grand. It was something. Dude, <laughs> Ty had Ty used his credit card to buy tickets to the Rolling Stones and then was going to try and, and sell them later on in the secondary market. Because there's people that go for these shows, they go on and everybody gets their laptop and they have ticket buying parties where it's like, as soon as the tickets go on sale, I'm going to buy... 10 tickets and then you're going to buy 10 tickets and you're going to buy 10 tickets and they'll sit around and it like it, it, 
totally creates this stock market dude and it's crazy because it's all imaginary right it's all just imaginary it's all just perceived value so you 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 have that going on and so because people because record sales went way down and then concert attendance went way down you know nashville pussy played at streets of london and lost lake you know conflict played at streets of london it's amazing you know what i mean these bands that like like uh, Nashville Pussy won a Grammy. They won a fucking Grammy. They won a fucking and, Grammy. And they're playing at Streets of London, right? And and I quit, and dude. I'm, play, out, I'm out of the music play, industry. Playing Lost Lake, and dude, you know what the capacity is at Lost Lake? It's like 150. Like I mean, and, and and it's you cool venue. I mean, yeah, I'm it is a cool venue. I love it there. They take great care of us, but it's also it's a 150 person capacity venue, and no matter how hard you work to promote it, you know it's there's so much competition going on in the mute the market is so saturated we did a new like, year's eve at fucking lost lake man how to do i mean it did all right but i mean it did all right oh, yeah we played that with you yeah we yeah how many other yeah. things were going on that night oh, you dude, know what I, I mean like fucking probably rancid was that you know somewhere like bouncing uh, bouncing souls have been doing new year's here for a while now right so I mean, how would you say it was, Gordo? It was, it was, it was all right. It was busy, a little busy. Yeah, I would say, I would say it was, you know, it was well attended. I would say, but not as, but not, it wasn't packed. It wasn't right. sold out, right? And you know, we called a little gruff when it was time to pay us. You know, it's oh like, yeah, it's like, hey, motherfucker. Yeah, oh yeah. Bees that way sometimes. Homie. Well, well, we we ran we ran into a similar thing where it's like, you know, because. We're from here, and because there is no real urgent need to come see us play, you know, our draw is, you know, hit or miss. I, I, I'll freely admit that. On a local level, our draw is hit or miss. So because of that, our ability to secure guarantees is non-existent. And when it comes to booking a show, it's like, we've got to cover Tony's flight, at least. Yeah, you got to get him out of here. We've at the very least got to t- cover Tony's flight. And... You know, Lost Lake hit us up about doing a show, and it's like, man, we would love to. That sounds amazing. It sounds fun. We love you guys. We want to come play, but it's like, we need to know that we can afford Tony's plane ticket in case anything goes wrong. And there ended up being a major snowstorm. It was uh, the the show we were supposed to do was supposed to be the 28th of last month, and there was a huge snowstorm right before that. In fact, on the 28th, there was a snowstorm. Yeah. So had we flown Tony out, we, on just a wing and a prayer with a door deal, we would not have covered our plane ticket. You know, there, there, we would have not made enough money to cover that. And we don't have the leverage to be able to, to, to do that with venues now. Like, like bigger bands are having trouble getting guarantees because attendance is so low across the board. So what all these venues are doing to, or not venues, but these, these talent buyers are doing to try and offset it is they go, they go, yeah, we'd love to have you on this show. We'd love to do this. By the way, how would you feel about doing pre-sales? They don't require it, but they are very insistent about it. And if, you just outright say no, thank you. That puts you at a disadvantage. You're for, fucked, man. Yeah, because they're going to be like, oh, this other band said they do pre-sales. They said they didn't mind taking them. You know, we've done it for we uh, we've done it for the last few gigs, uh, just because we had such a bad reputation of being anti-pre-sale, <clears throat> and we weren't getting any offers. Right? 
So we're like, all right, well, let's see, let's just do it. Let's just see if we could do it. And we were like, give, all right, give us, you know, give us 60. All right. right. And now that Ty's back in the band, Ty's like, um, he's the perfect buffer. He's like the total opposite of me, right? Like he's the total people person. Right, right, right. right? He, he's he like, really he, he's, is. The he's, he's the approachable guy, right? It's not that I like, I'm trying not to be approachable. No, but, you're not, you're not unapproachable, but he is, he is a car salesman. He, like he, he is. is a big salesman, man. And, and me, I'm usually, you know, I'm chasing down a Jones, right? So I'm not around. And, um, so Ty's back in the band and he fucking sells these tickets, man. And he, he was actually able to sell them. He gets them done. And then like, so I think at the last gig we did, uh, like we pre-sold 100, right? Wow, Which good for you. Like we're fucking, we're tripping balls, right? We've been around since 2001. Everybody's seen us, right? right. Like who's going to, what are we offering, you know? So, but for that gig, we did like a fan's choice set list, right? Which was awesome. That's cool. And um, I mean, they were bringing songs back from, that we haven't played in probably 15 years. And so it made us work. And um, that's really cool. The the gig was great, and you know, but still, at the end of the night, man, you, you kind of get that feeling like from the venue, like you only pre sold on, <laughs> dude. That's not a success to them. I'm like, that's not a success to them. Oh god, because damn, they've dude. got they've got some YouTube starlet that comes through and sells out the fucking Larimer Lounge on a Wednesday night. It's tough. They've got they've got some kid from s- some SoundCloud rapper selling out the Bluebird Theater on a Tuesday night or an a- or a matinee show, you know what I mean? Like like we are we are part of a very niche market. You know, what what the 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 new market, the stuff that's performing really well is all stuff that you know, is the is the younger generation? It's all the new stuff. You know, that's that's the way it's always been. the The popular music of the time, the stuff that the kids are listening to, is always going to be the stuff that draws the most people because there's a there's a community aspect to it. Right. Like like we said earlier, we're playing for the thirty five to forty four year old guys who are who have got the kid and the job and all these different things. So we have a much more specialized following. Bands like us and. If I sold 100 pre-sales, I would be fucking high-fiving everybody. Dude, I was tripping balls, man. Yeah, but the, but, but the club doesn't see that as a success. And here's the other thing. One, I have found that people are kind of resistant to pre-sales. They're like, yeah, I mean, if I want to come see you guys play, I'll just come to the show. Like, like is it going to sell out? Like, we have a couple friends who are used to buying tickets right when they go on sale just because that's the way that they do it. But for the most part... Regular show people, they're like, I'll just show up. Just walk up, man. You know, I'll just walk up. I'll or get I won't, the show. So fuck you. Or I won't. <laughs> or I'll show up and if it's sold out, I'll go, wow, good for those guys. And I'll leave or I'll get in. Like they're not they're not that invested in it because for all intents and purposes, we're a local band. You know what right. I mean? But then you also get this other thing that happened that happens, which I witnessed the last time we played at Lost Lake, is out of all of our pre-sales. Only like we put out a will call sheet at the door, and out of our pre uh, pre sales, only like a third of the people who bought pre sales even showed up to claim them. But you still got the, their money. I mean, we still got the money, right. but I would have much rather had them at the show. The crowd, yeah. You know, I would have much rather have people there. But the the talent buyers want to make sure that they're covered right out the gate. So they'll be like, "Hey, give us a credit card number. Here's your tickets." No matter what happens, you're responsible for those tickets, and we're covered. We know how flaky people are, and so we are no longer going to accept the risk 
of the flakiness and uncertainty and instability of the market. Yeah, that's great. So, yeah, this is the new normal. I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. For for Denver, which is you know. I so, don't what know. do you think the future is? Um, for the past pre-sales. Well, what do you think is the future? I, I what is it? Th- what do you think is the future for you specifically? Like, what is your plan to be able to? Keep your band sustainable and successful, and and for brother um, maintaining forward momentum. Um, I mean, I, I think for locally, just you, you have to play less, right? Yeah. And um, if you have the opportunity to to open up for like a bigger act, if you can get in by just pure luck, let's say open for Bad Religion or something, and it comes down to the pre-sales situation, you got to play the game. I mean, this is the new game right. in town, and you got to play it. That's yeah. just things are tough all over. Yeah. And as far as uh, I mean, it's it, it's awesome that we have such a good following in Europe, and so that's why we'll we'll just keep going, man. Yeah. And I wonder if we're gonna, I wonder if we're witnessing the beginning of the end over there too, though. Like, I wonder if. I wonder if the implications for what is happening in the market is reaching them too. You know I what know, I mean? Man. It, uh, so I, I think the places that we've been will, will always have us back. Right. You know what I mean? Because they, they, they were fans of the band in the first place. And so they're going to want to see us. And then like we perform well in those markets and I think we're safe over there. Um, Gosh, man, I, I don't know though. Like, we don't go. Uh, like, I'm sure, like in Paris, it's probably the same shit, mm-hmm. right? You know, like Paris is probably like Los Angeles. We're pay to play. I don't know. We don't play Paris, right? Because it's not a. Do a, you guys go to France at all? I've never been. Like, if we do France, it's always typically near like that German border, right? Um, so Germany's where it's at, man. Man, I mean, they're they just, fucking love rock and roll. They they're rock and roll to the core. Like to their soul, they love it so much, man. And but you know, even uh, like us doing the Rebellion Festival, as uh, that's UK, right? That's UK. It's yeah. in Blackpool. I've never seen anything like it, dude, in my life. And we played punk rock bowling, and then we've done uh, Love Hope Strengths gigs at punk rock bowling as well. Oh, I didn't know that they the, that they do that. That's really cool. Yeah, we've we've done two of those, and it's it's awesome because you get all. The people that can't get in to uh, the club shows, which are really what people want to go to, right? Um, make their way over, especially if they hear Reno's playing. And um, we've we made a lot of new fans playing those Love Hope Strength gigs. But I would say that's probably like one of the biggest punk festivals in the states, right? And um, but you go to this Rebellion thing is it's fucking it's almost like it's it's like Woodstock for punk rockers. Like right. there is a communal uh, feeling, like everyone is shares this love of punk rock, right? And it's not every, you know, it's not everyone trying to score coke, you know, on the Vegas fucking strip and just acting like wild men. It's people are there. To, it's like they're going to fucking class. Well, and and punk rock bowling, unfortunately, I think is becoming like a lot of things, especially in punk rock, is becoming increasingly politicized. And for example, um, I can't confirm this because I don't have it handy, but maybe Gordo, maybe you can look it up and, and check this for me. But from what I understand, Rose Tattoo was removed from 
punk rock bowling for political reasons. I think that for, that's uh, from it. this year. Yeah, from this coming year because they they were announced on the lineup and then some article. You know, some article was published by someone who was not happy with some things that Angry Anderson said because he's a fucking old man from a rock and roll band in Australia and he has conservative beliefs that a lot of people, you know, don't care for. And so they, you know, enough people made a stink about it and I think they pulled him off of punk rock bowling. I could be mistaken, but I think that they got pulled from it. But um, but I, I, I've... I guess, have you been seeing that happen at all overseas in like European punk rock festivals? Uh, for bands getting pulled like that? Like, just like politics getting people yeah, pulled. Yeah, man, t- and- I got a really crazy story about that. Yeah, let me of. hear it. Uh, so, you know, Lars from uh, Rancid. Right. He has another band called the Old Firm Casuals. And it's, it's an oi band, like a street punk kind of thing. And we were playing with them in Stuttgart, Germany. And um, this was, I think this was on... The total beatdown tour. Yeah, it was. And, but we're like, Stuttgart's going to fucking rule, man. Lars, right. we're playing with Lars' band. It's going to be sold the fuck out. And we get there, and we kind of heard rumblings on the way to the gig that um, Old Firm Casuals was like a right-wing band. They played some festival where a right-wing band played. Right. And you know they take this shit for real serious oh, in Germany. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, you don't get a pass Ever. Ever. Um, so you better, now, over in Germany, if you were right wing, you were a Nazi. You better make sure you got the right fucking color laces and your Doc Oh, Martins. yeah. They take it seriously. Yep. So uh, they're telling us, well, I think the show's canceled, man, because this fucking mes- message board said this about Lars. And we're like, fuck, dude. A message board. Right. And it's so sure as shit, man. And was it like a ridiculous nine-hour drive for us to get to the gig? We get there. There's fucking protesters outside the gig trying to oh, shut yeah. the gig down like sharps and whatever and i mean i'm all about it man you know like uh, i'm anti-racism right-wing shit it's um i consider myself a pretty fucking liberal dude yeah same and if you look at lars and rancid and their influences i would just on face value consider them to be pretty liberal open-minded dudes right i wouldn't consider them nazis at all so um we get there and lars is in and there's this big motherfucker there and lars is up in his face going you think I'm a fucking racist? Fuck you. And he's, he's listening to all this shit, man. Uh, you know, bands that he's played with, fucking dudes that he's hung. And the show went on, but it was poorly attended for this very reason. Just because, because, because a rumor someone got threw st- Because someone threw stink on it. And so the people associated with that idea aren't going to show up. And then people afraid of being associated with that idea aren't going to show up. Yeah, man. This, and this was like way, you know, before the state of the state now this was like 2012 i feel like the lines just used to be more clear you know what i mean like i was always pretty secure in my progressive liberal perspective i've always considered myself to be a you know to be a bleeding heart liberal to the nth degree but then i'm seeing so much stuff about people who are from what I thought was our side of the fence being called out and being accused and be, like like someone like Angry Anderson like I don't agree with I don't agree with anything that the guy you know with everything that the guy says but he's entitled to his opinion that's where you get into like free speech shit yeah, man yeah, like yeah, yeah. people are saying shit that you don't like to hear but still they got a right to say it right and you just you got a right to not fucking listen or and i mean it's complicated 
it's 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 absolutely complicated and it's like I like and I've said this before I believe in the primacy of free speech but I'm also not a free speech absolutist you know because there is if you've got someone who is getting together and they are using a social platform to plan a genocide or a like a fascist revolution like I don't want them using Facebook to plan. You got to pull the plug on that. You got to pull the plug on that. Yeah. And then you got to go, okay, what's next door to that? And what's next door to that? And what's next door to that? And where where does the line start? You know what I mean? And I just, I feel like the, 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 in the, over the last few years, especially the lines have become especially blurred. And like, we're getting ready to do this roast tattoo show in May. And, I uh, I haven't really heard much of anything locally, but I'm concerned about some bad was what this dude said. So ba- basically, like, from what from what I understand, have you have you looked up some of the information on yeah, it? Yeah, I was, I was going to say um, there's kind of conflicting information. It's like uh, you know, back at the end of November, it was announced, and they were part of the announcement of the lineup, and then uh, it, but the date is not on their Facebook events page right i don't know and, so, th- and then there are there are a lot of questions about whether they're playing or not like their fans are asking kind of on their web page i saw like okay so this is my understanding and i and is rose tattoo is supposed to be on punk rock bowling they're coming out here they're doing their first u.s tour in however long angry anderson has and and you can fact check me on this gordo because i might get some of it wrong and i want to make sure that that i'm presenting the correct narrative to people you know um i i want to make sure that i've to the best of my knowledge got the facts right so from what i understand is angry anderson from rose tattoo is part of a right-wing conservative political party in australia which is in opposition to the free and unregulated um, immigration of uh, refugees. Like, ba- ba- like now, that's a big issue. Over it is. A, it is a big Europe, issue. Man. It is a big issue. Dude. From like basically, from what I understand is is his language was something to the degree like they did not want. People coming over without integrating into society, into Australian society. And I think there's some quote of him saying something to the degree of like, we need these people to know that what is okay, where they're from is not okay here. Like basically he was, he was coming out saying we need to, we need to be vigilant about basically he was just calling for regulation and he wants them to assimilate. Yeah. And he wants to assimilate into Australian society. Hmm. And some of the ways that he presented it and some of the ways, more importantly, some of the other people, some of the ways other people in his party presented it was that they were trying to present the Islamification of Australia Kind of like fear mongering to a degree, you know. Well, it came across to a lot of people as being Islamophobic, right? And they went on tour with this other band from Australia. I can't remember the name of the band. I want to say it's like the Ergs or something like that, but that might that might be wrong. But there was another punk rock band from Australia that they went and did a tour with, 
and there was an interview with them, and they are kind of a multicultural, um, far more left-leaning band. You know, it's they're an older band, an older Australian punk rock band, but they're like far more left-leaning and and younger. Uh, a little bit younger than Rose Tattoo is. You know, Rose Tattoo is like 70s and they're 80s or something like that. Seems like a lot of this is over uh, the term of Islamization that he's... Of Australia, right? Is what he's talking about. Right. So he got got in some trouble because he's kind of a loud mouth, you know, know, and and whatever. He's kind of a loud mouth. Um, But I I, I guess he's like come out and he's like recanted some of what he said and has clarified some of what he said, but... There was an interview with one of the bands that he went on tour with, and they were kind of a multicultural band. There's like a Korean guy in the band, and there's like, uh, uh, I, I think, a guy who's like either of Indian or Pakistani. Uh, were they uh, talking shit? Like, No. Actually, when they were being interviewed, the impression I got was that the interviewer was trying to prod that from he them. He wants that to pop off, right? But their quotes were all like, I don't know. In Australia, it's just different. They're like, we just treat it like going to dinner at your uncle's house, you know, or going to dinner with your family during the holidays and your uncle is there who's like kind of a right wing guy. You just kind of like, you just make conversation and agree to disagree a lot. And he's like, and in the interview, they're like, if you want to know about that, you'd have to talk to him. This is my interview. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And they're (laughs) like, about my band. They're like, they're like, all we'll say is that, he has been nothing but gracious and kind and lovely to us. Right. That has not been our experience. We don't agree with a lot of the things he said politically, but our experience with him has been nothing but positive. And everything that I've read about the guy says that he's a very kind, genuine, you know, uh, amicable guy. Just he said some things that got a lot of people upset. And because punk rock especially has tipped so far to one extreme that they the 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 people who have rumbled the most the loudest people in the conversation have pretty much lobbied to get them taken off the festival because they didn't like what he said damn and they haven't been to the states in how long you said dude it's like 15 years like i mean they haven't been to the states in a very long time and we're playing with them in arvada on a tuesday night we're gonna fly in tony and in arvada well uh we're playing at the venue okay um i think um uh anthony lucero from wolfpack productions won the bid on that so he he did it at the venue because he has a good relationship with them and i've I've heard good things about the spot but i mean it's unfortunate man because i'm sure there's a lot of you know fans here in uh in the US that are that are going to punk rock bowling that this is gonna be their only shot right to see that band. And right. who knows if they'll be back again. Right. Like you said, you know, they're getting up there in their years. And um we just It doesn't sound like the dude said anything, you know, call for anyone's head. Yeah. Whatever. You yeah, know, overt or like a call like, to violence. Seems like most of like he has this association with the Australian Liberty Alliance. Right. And it's perceived as an anti Islam organization. Right. So that I it just Which if you offer applying, any criticism of Islam anymore, you're it's it's considered Islamophobic. Right. right. And it's so if you're kind of if he's flying that banner. You know, like that. He gets lumped into that group no matter what. And and we're also living in a time where people are trying to make pretty well-defined boxes of people's political perspectives. And I don't know. It's just I I keep hearing these stories and I saw I don't know. I don't know if you saw recently, but there was there was an article that came out that 
that put a bunch of venues and a bunch of bands on blast for being on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I think I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw that come out and I was just going, man, like, like I get it. And again, I get it. And I don't, I think that, you know, white nationalism and racism is gross. Like, it's, I always it's thought fucking ridiculous. I always thought that that was inarguable. You know what I mean? That, it's yeah, like it's like un, unwritten law, but yeah, it's like I'm like I kind of grew up in the punk rock scene, just being like, yeah, Nazis bad, inclusion good, be nice to everybody, right? That's it. And I feel like the the lines have just gotten blurred, and I keep seeing I keep seeing these these venues getting put on blast. I see these like. These bands getting put on blast. I see individual piece, people getting put on blast. It seems like there's a vendetta at work to some degree. Um, it seems like gamesmanship to some degree where like people are being it, – it's just about scoring points for your team or, well, or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's not just here. It's, it's everywhere. It's going on everywhere. Yeah. And it's – so we had Reed on here. And Reed told me – what we see here is nothing compared to what he's Reed's seeing. He's from Texas, New- right? Right. Well, he's he's originally from Texas, but he lives in New York right now. And he said, "What we're seeing here is nothing. It's even worse in New York, and it's even worse in Germany." Like yeah. when Speedwolf went over to Germany, they had protesters show up to their shows because some band deep in their label's catalog had some sort of loose tie to some sort of right wing group or someone yeah, it was like it was like once. a band that was it was like their label mates uh, you know right <laughs> like uh, twice removed yeah kind of sh- they, bullshit. They, had, like, they don't really have anything to do with never met you know uh just because they have that organizational and it becomes relationship a, with it becomes a seven degrees of separation from kevin bacon thing you know what i mean Where have you ever like, heard of a band called bones uncles over in uh in Germany, no. This is like one of the. It's one of the biggest punk bands to ever come out of there, and, and they're from Frankfurt. Probably started in the late seventies, um, but just mega famous. Like I would say, like compare them to um, probably like the Clash for Germany, right? And uh, their bassist maybe made like an anti-Turkish comment when he was a kid, right? Like when they were young, right? And that shit's haunted the band forever. Because of a comment he made when he was a kid? Yeah, when he was a kid, you know. And I, I, I can't, like, don't quote me on, like, how bad the comment was. But, like, he's apologized for it. Or he's like, man, dude, I was, like, fucking 18 years old. Right. I'm fucking, I'm from the slums of Frankfurt, you know. I am fucking grew up poor. It, right. The shit was pounding into my head. And, 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 and also, I'm sure at the time he said it, the climate was different. No, absolutely, man. You know, so, like, like, uh, man, it, it, have, have you have either of you guys seen the new series that Kevin Hart has put out on Netflix? Because oh no no I saw Kevin, that it was on there. Kevin Hart stepped down from the Oscars because a bunch of people took some tweets from a fucking decade ago. And oh, was it? It was like anti-gay stuff. Yeah, it was. Or, it was something like it was something like that. Like he made some comment in one of his acts where he was like. He was like, one of my greatest fears is my son being gay. And, da, 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 and he does this whole bit about it, right? right? And then he put out some tweet that was like, if my son was gay, I'd like hit him with a dollhouse and say in my voice, <laughs> hey, don't be gay. Like, it was like a Kevin Hart right. joke. 
And You're kind of like doing blackface right now on the vine. See, but but that's another thing. It's yeah. like it's a spot on impression of what he sounds yeah, like. That's, that's how Hart, his man. voice sounds, right? Yeah. Like, but someone will hear that and be like, man, he's oh, fucking yeah, clown. I, I know. That's how sensitive, oversensitive we are these days, man. And I just, but I don't think it's how oversensitive we as a culture are. I think it is a few people on the internet looking for opportunities to throw up, you know, start a fight. You know, you think it's that basic, or do you think like this? This younger generation just really has this thin of skin. There is a reward system built into social media platforms for enragement. There is that's that's the word I was enragement. That's there is a reward system built in for for victimology. Like like it is there is a gamesmanship built into you can't even say witch hunt. Because there will be someone who hears you say the term witch hunt and will say... You're talking about, you're talking about women. Yeah, it's like, it's, <laughs> like, it's like that doesn't apply because, because witch hunt is a term used to describe like, uh, women being persecuted in this way. It's like, well, no, males were also persecuted for being her- heretics or scientists or what have you. You know, like witch hunt is fully appropriate for... It's yeah. yeah. Witch it, hunt is in the parlance of our times. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 w- witch hunt is non-binary. You know what I mean? It's like there was all kinds of witches, and 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 it works. And what about but, bitch hunt? Anyone <laughs> ever say bitch? Hunt? Oh man! Uh, yeah, you just you just might have gotten uh, fuck. You just might have gotten the Nug Nation yeah, firebomb. Think, uh, you Thank just you. got banned from everywhere. God, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Reno divorce right? can't play you shows know anymore. Congratulations! So, you got a bunch of free uh, no, and that's, free publicity coming your way. That's that's. We always joked, man. Like when this Me Too stuff happened, we're like, when's it, like everyone at the <laughs> when when are they coming for us? You know. Because it was just a different time, like, you know, when we were on right. the road and, you know, it was just a different time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, like I said, there's a gamesmanship towards, like, putting people on blast or, like, if you if you can throw up something that you were enraged about or disgusted by or upset about, you are going to gather a lot of traffic into that post you're going to get, and you are automatically part of a group. Like there is a group identity that you get entered into when you associate as a victim. Right. Then you get in that like, reward center in your brain. Right. right and, and I mean, <clears throat> my feeling is that, that first of all, that a lot of the people who are decrying the horrors of the Eurocentric uh, patriarchal tyranny are generally college-educated, affluent white guys. Like most, most of the people right. who are the ones who are leading those fight that fight are college-educated, affluent white people. Like that's uh, who trying to hold on to what they got. Man. Well, well, well. No, no, no. I'm talking about the ones who were decrying it. The ones oh, who are the ones it. who are speaking out against it that are are generally like have declared themselves the champions of the downtrodden. You know, the 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 champions of the dispossessed when that title was not necessarily ever requested of them. 
You know, that service was not necessarily requested of them. And, and I just, I don't know, man, I, like when I have conversations with people off the internet in real life, and I'm talking about people of all walks of life is there are 7 billion opinions out there. Some of them are pretty rough. Most of them are pretty much just live and let live, let other people thrive, you know, let's be nicer to each other, let's take better care of each other, let's try and be better humans, let's try and make the world a better place. But because, again, so much advertising money has gone into these social media platforms, the world is being moved by the opinions of a very small percentage of the population that is hooked on the rewards of getting upset about shit. Yeah, man, enraged. You know, I, I think it's like we really are so polarized now, Aaron, that um, it's uh, I've never seen anything like it. You know what I mean? Like people that I thought I knew, like like you were saying, like most of the people, opinions that you get are live and let live, be good to others. But I kind of hear the opposite. Right. You know what I mean? And I, yeah, I don't want to get into the whole thing with Trump or whatever, but definitely that sector of that shares that ideology – of maybe you know right wing maybe you know white power ish kind of ingrained shit is becoming a little more accepted like you can kind of step out of the closet mm -hmm. a little more when you tiptoe around maybe you got to duck back in but uh it's, well it's, there's it's, a safe place for you yeah it's a little safer you now. know there's an echo chamber that you can hang out in and the same thing the same thing exists for people on the other end of the spectrum though is there's an echo chamber there's, there's a filter bubble where people can hang out and just sit around agreeing with each other. Kicking those ideas around. You know what I mean? And I had, I had a thought the other day when I was in the shower, and I get some of my best thoughts either in the shower or on the toilet, but I'm sitting there in the shower, and I had been thinking about that word polarized, polarized, polarized. And I was like, the world, like our country, and, and, and the world, really, the world is not polarized right now. It is fractured, you know? Like... Polarized to me would mean like there's this one really strong ideology on this side and there's this other really strong ideology on this side and those two poles are, are competing with one another. There's a need to be right that's so extreme that people don't care if they're wrong. Right. But it's not just two poles in the fight. Each one of the poles is fractured within itself. You know, each one of the poles is then subpolarized within that pole. You know what I mean? Like, like I want to see that dickhead out of office. I really do. Oh, fuck, man. I want to see him run out on a rail. I want to see him. You know, a good example. Sorry to interrupt no, you. No, go ahead. A good example of like fractured within the, the polls. So, like, I guess this was a couple of weeks ago. Billy Graham's uh, magazine, like the leaving editor-in-chief, came out and he's, he told even evangelicals look man you can't support trump anymore right no because, i remember yeah. that yeah he's, he's a that. philanderer i read that he, article he's a fucking liar and um he's bad for the country he doesn't have any christian values if fucking jesus was here his head would be spinning right and then other sects of the evangelicals are like no fuck that man right he's the chosen one <laughs> right and but this is black and white all right. I don't care if you're religious. If you are religious, this shit's in the Bible. This is the, what you've, uh, you, uh, you're aspiring your life to be like, right. Christ-like or whatever. 
it says, don't cheat on your wife. Don't do all this shit. Right. Your president blatantly flaunts the law. He flaunts it all. You know, he's really sinful. Right, and, right, right. And for you to, like, suspend your beliefs in the most important thing in your life just because maybe your 401k right, right, looks right. a little better. Right. right? Maybe there's more fucking jobs. Maybe. Why? Because anyone can Uber now. Right, They got right. a fucking job. Right. It's, man, to suspend all that. Just because you think times are good, I'm telling you, man, fucking bottom's gonna fall out of all this shit. Right. And uh, well, yeah, and then there's how's, there's how's this. How's the, uh, the uh, insurance in the gig economy? Right. Oh. <laughs> oh. What, what do you mean there is none? Yeah, there is none whatsoever. None at all, yeah. man. Did, don't get don't, sick. Don't get kidney stones. You know what I heard the other day that really pissed me off? I normally hear things about punk rock this, punk rock that, da 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 da. But but but. Somebody said that being on Trump's side was the new punk rock. I've heard and that. I yeah. just. Man, it's crazy, man, I've heard that something just flipped a switch in my in my heart. <laughs> Look, <laughs> hey, wait, wait, what, what, so angry. what I was going to say is that I really want to see him gone, but I am legitimately afraid. And and for someone who is optimistic to a fault, I'm really afraid we're going to get another four years of him simply because of the fact that. Our side, and when I say our side, I mean liberal progressives. I mean what we would – I think all three of us in this room could be considered on the left, right? I would say everyone in this Hard room time. is is liberal progressive and, and we all have roots in the punk rock community, right? But if we were to have all of our belief systems and all of our values listed out in a document, those documents would look – like the details of those documents would probably look a little different in certain nuanced areas. And there are certain of people on, would. and there are certain people on our team who would see those nuances as evidence that we're not part of the team. Yep. Deal breaker. You know right. what I mean? There are things that, and there is so much infighting and there is so much undermining and sabotage. And again, gamesmanship going on. Like, I am afraid that we won't be able to get together behind a client and, or not a client, a candidate and present someone that's going to, that's going to beat him. Those lunatics that are behind him, they're they, fucking lunatics, so. but they're organized, they're organized and they are methodical and they, they are goal oriented, man. They'll do they're, whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes. And They'll look the other way when it when it calls for it, and yeah, and they will they will loose their emotional attachments to focus on the bigger picture. And over here on our side, there is so much emotional infighting that tribalism and collectivism are undermining our ability to get together and kick this guy's ass. Right, and I'm I'm legitimately afraid of it, man. Dude, I wonder what the parallels are to, to, to like Trump's rise to power and like let's say Hitler's. Right, like how similar? I mean, did did Hitler come out like immediately like, hey man, let's get the Jews? No, or was H it like Hitler really slight the, little steps? He was the from what I understand, Hitler was the mouthpiece for the Nazi Party. Like the Nazi Party was a party that had been emerging. In the wake of post-World War I devastation in Germany, they had come about and they were like, 
you know, they're like the fucking tea party of their time. You know, they're right. coming out and they're going, we've got a, we're, we want to unify Germany and we want to get our balls back and we want to get our cultural identity back. Make Germany great again. And we we want to make Germany great again. <laughs> and then they found this loudmouth fucking orator. You know, this this dude who likes to get jacked on fucking speed and... And, and don't forget what, he wrote, Was he on that margin powder? Dude, there's don't some for, story. Oh, yeah. yeah there's, there, Have you heard the story about uh, Hitler browbeating Mussolini into submission? Mussolini was on the fence uh, with their alliance, right? Right. He didn't want to be a part of it, you know? Like, he was a fascist, but he wasn't that much of a fascist, you know? <laughs> like, He's a tiny fascist. He wasn't, he wasn't as extreme as Hitler was, right? And so he was kind of hemming and hawing, and Hitler knew that he needed Mussolini and he needed Italy to make it happen. So hearing that Mussolini was on the fence, he had a meeting with him, and he got all – I mean, this is all rumor and – you know, this is all a rumor, of course, but – Supposedly, he got all jacked on fucking amphetamines, whatever the amphetamine that he was taking at the time. He was and on he the sat meth. down, dude. He sat down and he browbeat Mussolini for several hours, and just talked. And Mussolini just sat there and listened while Hitler as he took at apart him. a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Hitler just talked at him, and they walked out of the room, and and Italy was on board. Right. He's like, whatever, man. Just get that. He's mother. like, that dude's tweaking. He's like, he's get tweaking. this guy out of my office. We'll do whatever he says. Jesus Christ. It's like this guy. What he's written one book, Mine Art of the Deal. <laughs> Mine yeah. Art of the Deal. I don't know. Mine Conf. Mine Art of the Deal. Here's my one criticism about the comparisons of Trump to Hitler. Here's my one criticism of that. That was almost a century ago. That was virtually a century ago. So much that we take for granted has happened in the world since that event. That I think comparing the two is kind of an apples and oranges type of situation. There was not the proliferation of ideas and, and media like we have now. There was not the connectivity in the world. There was not the access to information. You know, you've been to Germany. Germany is a changed place as a result of, of that happening. Right. You know, it, cha it changed the structure of Western society. Like World War, the atrocities of World War II changed Western society. It changed the value structure of Western society. And technologically, I don't know if something like that would be possible again. I, you know, I would never say never, man. I, I mean, I, right, I wouldn't itself. say never, and, and, and I'm no expert, but if I were a betting man, I would just say, like, I can see where people are drawing the parallels but I think they're leaving data out of the sample. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, yeah, I understand what you mean. It, I, the, it is kind of apples and oranges to an extent, but it's, it would be interesting just to Literally oranges. <laughs> 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 it's apples and oranges. Orange. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like the little moves that he made, though. You know, I, I wonder like if there's any similarities. His tactics are like, very similar. Yeah, so that's a what I mean. Cult of personality too. You know, but like. his tactics, his tactics are Machiavellian. You know, like that's a good point. Cult of personality too, man. Like you never would expect America to have a cult of personality. Oh yeah, man. I, I mean, for we, for their president, we popularized the cult of personality. You know, like so much of the like. His is just 
one of the most overtly pernicious cults of personality that we've had in this. Yeah, country. I was going to say it's the, it's the values that are in the particular cult of personality that are way, way out there. There, yeah. There's actually, um, I heard something about observable times in history where you were to see, you were able to see when introversion and extroversion swapped places in terms of value. Um, if you look at around the time that Lincoln was president, the books that came out at the time, the politicians of the time were were almost like it was far more valued to be an introvert in the early 1800s up through the Victorian era. And then kind of a, like at a certain point, and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly when that changed over, but extroversion became more valued. And I think, I, I mean, we won't know for probably a couple hundred years, but I would actually bet that we're going into an era again where introversion is, is more valued. So you have like the cult of personality. And bef like when it's a more introvert dominated society, it's more cult of character. You know what I mean? It's more the cult of the, the, the strong silent type is someone yeah, that somebody in my, like, like my grandma said one time, it's rude to talk about yourself so much. Like right. that, someone of her generation, like that kind of struck me and my dad was like, Oh yeah. You know, like that's right. Kind of no, like how like being it's a generational us. thing. It's yeah. like how we were brought up too. like, you know, she's saying that cause you know, she said that to us when we were, you know, my, my dad and my uncle, when they were bringing them up. Right. And, and, and so. it seems, it seems like historically, like it, it waxes and wanes. Like you have like the Victorian era and you have, you have like, you know, up through the industrial revolution and the depression and things like that. Like, it was rude to talk about yourself. It was rude to be braggadocious. It was, it was rude to be like that. And it, it, it's, but then you look at like periods in history, like the Renaissance, where it was popular to be flamboyant. It was popular. Yeah, really out there. Really yeah. out there. Da highly Vinci extroverted. Shit, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like to be the extroverted, you know, kind of eccentric type, like the, the, the Mozart type, like God, the stuff that Mozart was into, like, Amadeus didn't even crack the surface of the freaky deaky shit. Oh, he, got, he got wild Absolutely. as fuck. Oh, dude, he was gross. Like, like, oh man, fucking, like dude, Chuck Berry shit, or probably. I mean, probably worse for the time. I mean, yeah. if if Mozart dropped into modern times. If Mozart dropped into modern times, he would be Me Too'd by the end of the week. Are we talking like an R. Kelly? Kind of? If you he think would, about a Chuck Berry, really, was the original I mean? R. Kelly. Oh, yeah. You know dude. what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's, oh, ro that's yeah. rock and roll. I mean. Surviving Mozart starting next week on a <laughs> Gordo, I mean, that's got to happen, man. I, Surviving I, Mozart. I think I should cap all this by saying that, like, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, none of us know, you know, we don't know, you know, we don't know what in the long term is going to turn out to be beneficial or detrimental. We don't know who's going to win this election. We don't know, you know, we, we don't have a wide enough lens in our short ass fucking lives as human beings, you know, and I just, at the end of the day, I just want to see people be kind together and come together on the common ground we have, which is that, you know, just everybody deserves the right to thrive and everybody deserves the right to smoke weed man <laughs> everyone gotta smoke more weed bro yeah <laughs>
Just smoke weed, man. Just ride the snake. <laughs> hey, you heard it right here from Brent Loveday, man. Smoke just, more weed. I, smoke I personally, more weed. I hate the shit, but I'm, I'll do it. But I won't do dabs. I won't do low temp dabs. I finally got a decent tolerance. I'll tell you what. Um, a guy I work with gave me some one to one CBD to THC pods for like a Pax pen. That's my jam, dude. It's because the the CBD kind of chills the shit out, right? I'm not making this up, dude. In using that one-to-one CBD to THC stuff, I did not experience any depression and anxiety during the time that I was using. One-to-one. Yeah, it's it's like one to one C or there's dude, there's stuff out now that's like two to one C B D to THC. Um someone gave me a pill that was like fifteen to one. Yeah, I was gonna say I we get um my wife and I get the C B D like the, the tablets that are like twenty five to one. Dude, it's amazing. Twenty five C B D to one THC. Yeah, because in my opinion, I really I mean for my metabolism, like I need to have some THC in there to kind of help activate the, the right. C B D. Or like, because I've taken CBD on its own and it doesn't really seem to do much, but just having a certain amount of THC in there to kind of just activate it makes a world of difference. What I've noticed is I don't get super like stony off of it. Like when I go back to smoking something that's like high THC, I feel it. I feel stoned. You know what I mean? And I get, I get the wheels spin into my head and whatnot. But what I've noticed when I do this stuff that's got more CBD, either more CBD than THC or an equal amount, is it just balances me out. Have you noticed that, Gordo? Chocolope, that like, man. Dude, it balances chocolope. your moon. Is, is chocolate? Is that's, that's my strain, man. Does it have a CBD in it? I thought most. Yeah. Oh, that, see, that's great. Yeah. Chocolope. All right. There's something. Did you write a song about? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that, is that the one? I found my strain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that from Tennyson's Tap, man. Yeah, I was yeah. like, what a great tune. He 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 played it on the show. Gordo's a great songwriter too. Yes, and definitely, man. in my ah. opinion, Gordo is one of the great unsung songwriters of of at least our scene, man. Like, if not, well, let's get him out there, man. Yeah, let's showcase him. Yeah. Does anybody have a $5 million there? <laughs> yeah. Hey, Patreon. Man, promote my album. You don't need $5 million anymore, man. Oh, 5000 No, the playing field is level. See, dude, you already make great records. You make you great records. You have GarageBand? Don't you have GarageBand? You can make a great record. Oh, yeah? Yeah, dude, sure. The playing yeah. field is leveled. I mean, completely leveled. So, like, you can make tons of great stuff, you know, just no one will ever fucking hear it. This is true. <laughs> This is true. Hey, I think we're going to call it there, man. All right on, man. What are, what are we at, Gordo? We had a good uh, little episode there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that really flew by. It's 335, 305 That's great, right man. now. That's man. perfect. I got to tell you, Brent, um, just before we get out of here, like consistently I've been impressed by your songwriting and your playing. And Absolutely. It's It's been fucking awesome to have you here man yeah it's been guys, really great to have you and here. i can say the same to you guys thanks for having me this was a blast this is the first podcast i've ever done really pop my cherry all right yeah. dude I, I mean i've i've always i've always had a, a great deal of uh of love and respect for you man and and you know you've you've been nothing but cool to us and uh and every time we played together it's been a riot and you didn't steal my guitar player from me which is uh, yeah like, man i would never had hunt tony <laughs> tony a- lee the universe has put him exactly where he needs to be i know but we did have a lot of fun we, yeah we, man it was I, always nice having him play sit in with us he he loved playing with you man he really did he'd do it again anytime i would not mind you borrowing him at all just please don't steal him you won't me. steal him man <laughs> 
for sure. No, he's uh, yeah, man. He he said such great things about the times that he got to work with you, and and uh, I'm I'm glad you're still doing it, man. And you know, I've been I've been following your journey, and as a as a fellow fucking chemical lunatic, like man, I you know I've I've followed your journey, dude, and it's fucking not easy. It, it's it's certainly not. And uh, but we know it's good for us. Yeah, we know it's know? good for us, and uh, and the people we love keep us tethered to the earth, man. We gotta gotta do it for them, if not Amen. for ourselves. That's right. So hey, uh, we haven't done this the last couple episodes, but. Actually, we just didn't do it the last episode, but what we do every week is we do the one for the homies shout out. And at the end of the episode, we ask our guests to give a shout out to a band that they think deserves a little extra love and, and that maybe people uh, are sleeping on. And we'll find a track of theirs and we'll throw it on the end of the episode while people are trying to figure out what podcast to listen to next. Oh, man. A, a local band or a band in general? A- anybody. Just a, bu- a buddy of yours, oh, somebody that you... God, I got a couple, man. Fuck. Uh, well, give us a couple. Well, have you guys heard of a band called The Pollution? The Pollution? No, I've never heard of oh, that. Oh, yeah. 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 Those guys are fucking the real, real deal. The local band. Yeah, yeah. super good. And the trade-ins. I'm, you guys know the trade-ins. Love trade-ins. the trade-ins. trade-ins. Oh, yeah. We're actually playing with the trade-ins uh, March March 7th at uh, Goose Town with Fast Eddie and the trade-ins. I'll yeah, that'll be, be a, that'll be a good show, That'll man. be a bitchin' show, man. That's all Trade-ins are fucking man. excellent. I, I love, love that, that band. band. Uh, Brent, where can people find you? What should they look out for? Um, Drop your plug, man. Probably at an NA meeting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, man, just check us out at renodivorceband.com. And, uh, you know, we're all over Facebook. Just a quick Google search. We'll uh, yep. put you in touch with us. Yep. You know. Man, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys do next, and uh, we should do a show together soon. Yep, absolutely. Oh, it's All it three of our bands. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Yeah. Uh, this has been the motherfucking podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. And uh, again, shout out to our patrons. You guys keep this bitch afloat. So thank you so much for that. Um, we'll catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. Later. Peace.
You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 